Hello and welcome to Wit and Bridge Girl. I am your wit, Vlad. And I'm your bridge girl, Anna. And welcome to the second episode of Wit and Bridge Girl, a podcast where we read over all the Stormlight archives and argue with each other about who is best at landing on their feet, Shalon or Kaladin. You know, since uh, uh, this has not been sprung upon me and I actually had some time to reflect on it, uh, this time I have decided that Anna is best at landing on her feet. Aw, thank you, Vladimir. You are welcome. Also, I have n- I, I have never surprised... First of all, you had like a, tw- like a two-minute head start on this, but all the other times I had a Google Doc open with the question. Vladimir is a filthy liar. Well, no, I had come up with that as the answer when, uh, when I was thinking, who is best girl, too, if we were repeating that. So I, uh, so the, the answer still applied, so I just used it for this. Well, all right. You pass because you're, you're very good at flattery, but you are on, honestly, you're on thick ice because you're pretty cool. But <laughs> remember, you're still on ice. Okay, my balance has been getting really good lately since I've been on the one wheel. Alright, so as our loyal listeners may have figured out from last episode, we ran very long in trying to uh, do the synopses. So now the synopses are going to be pre-recorded, and so that's why there's only going to be one person talking during them. But we will first have you listen to Vladimir's Amazing retelling of chapter seven. No, fuck, it's chapter six. Of chapter six, bridge four. Chapter six, bridge four. Kaladin and the rest of the slave caravan finally arrive at the Shattered Plains. Specifically, they arrive to the war camp of one High Prince, Sadius. You remember the guy from Kaladin's home district whom he would have wound up serving anyway? You know, kind of ironic. They're taken to a woman whose job it is to decide what is to be done with the slaves, how much she's going to pay for them. Basically, she's a minor noblewoman whose job is to buy and sell people. At first, Kaladin lies and says that he got drunk and murdered a person and tries to convince her to let him fight because apparently having murdered a person is better than deserting, which, you know, given the fact that this is an army, makes sense. However, Tavlakov tells her the truth about Kaladin, or rather, the truth as best he knows it, thereby dashing his hopes, mostly because, well, if anyone found out that Kaladin was a deserter, Tavlakov's ass would have been chapped. The woman decides that Kaladin and the other slaves are to be made members of the bridge crews, and we are shortly to find out what that means. Kaladin is introduced to his superior, Gaz, A very ugly one-eyed man who doesn't even bother to cover up the hole with an eye patch. Uh, That is not my description or my judgment of him. That is Kaladin's internal narration. They take an instant dislike to one another, and Gaz decides to put Kaladin into Bridge 4. Bridge 4 is apparently known as the worst place because, well, we're gonna find out. Pretty much as soon as Kaladin is introduced to where Bridge 4 is supposed to be, an alarm sounds through the camp and the army is called to battle. Kaladin is forced to be in one of the worst places on the bridge run, and he and the other members of Bridge 4, somewhere between 
30 and 40 guys pick up a bridge a literal bridge made of relatively light wood with spokes underneath to make it possible to carry and they have to run with this bridge above their heads in order to use these bridges to cross the chasms remember when we told you that the shattered plains was basically like a giant dinner plate that had been shattered and had cracks all the way through it well, the only way to get through those cracks is with the bridge. The outer bridges have been burned by the enemy. So, what do you do? Well, you get a bunch of slaves, you give them bridges, and you make them run with them on top of them all the way out there. Yeah, it's pretty much as cruel and grueling as it sounds. On the way, Keladin has a conversation with one of the other bridgemen who gives him pretty good advice and is kind to him. I think you know what's about to happen. When they arrive at the final plateau, they find the Parshendi already having been set up. They appear to be humanoid beings made of red-veined black marble wearing armor. As soon as they get there, the orders of the bridge are shifted, and now Kaladin is at the very front of the bridge. The very front of the bridge the very front of the army, in fact, as the bridgemen are given no protection as they are told to run directly at the enemy. They take volley after volley of arrows while trying to place the bridge in the chasm so that the army behind them can cross the bridge and fight the Parshendi. The description of this is fairly horrific. There are maybe 40 bridge crews in total, with each bridge crew having 40 bridgemen. And we are told during the narration, because of how the Parshendi are targeting these groups, sometimes an entire bridge crew will die. And even if the entire crew doesn't die, every bridge crew is going to take casualties. This is organized slaughter. There are four people in the front row, and of these four people on this one bridge, Kaladin is the only survivor. This includes his friend who, well... Not really friend, but the guy who uh, told him stuff and told him, hey, this is what it is. After this, Kaladin pretty much just collapses in exhaustion. He wakes up several hours later when the windspread who's been following him shocks him with some kind of energy. Kaladin realizes if he doesn't hurry, he's going to be left behind and, you know, die because it's the middle of this place. And, you know, where's he going to go? There's no water, there's no food. Winter could come at any second, he could freeze to death. The one upshot of this is that the Windsbrand tells him her name. This is Silfrena, or Sil. She's going to be your best friend. Get to know her. Get to love her. We all do. And we are back. So, Vlad, let's start talking about sort of the new things we've learned from this chapter. For example, we find out how I got my name from this on this podcast, the bridge, uh, the bridge cruise. Yeah, uh, and uh, let's be clear: none of the people on the bridge crew, crew in this chapter survive except Kaladin. So you know, Anna is not here. Anna comes later. She's part of bridge for the family not the randomly assigned number oh i i thought i named myself bridge girl because of my suicidal tendencies yeah uh i uh, thought you named yourself bridge girl because you sort of uh, saw yourself as being you know a part of this 
weird eclectic found family where everyone is more than a little broken and they're just trying to make it through. I mean, that that's beautifully put and it is now the reason and I will make that my Twitter bio, I think. Okay. Uh, I'm here for uh, uh, you and all our n- listeners. If you would like me to sum up your personality in uh, a few short sentences <laughs> so that you can add it to your Twitter bio, hit me up. I offer these uh, these services. I also offer uh, services as a consultant on Bubble and Tinder. However, those are uh, exclusively for listeners of eight, uh, who are 18 years or older. All right, then. So onto the chapter itself and not some weird stuff about our personal lives. Did you remember how deadly the bridges were? Because... I, oh yeah, I I, yeah. I I remember they were deadly. I remember there were lots of casualties, but yeah, I forgot that they cycled entirely through so quickly. Cause oh yeah, that that was one of the things that like stuck out the most to me about uh, the uh, the bridge runs, especially in these early chapters. Just how absolutely bleak it is. Like, and the the visual imagery is just in insane you have like 30 40 bridge crews with like 30 40 guys a piece they're carrying them on their shoulders and they're running at the end of what is basically a chasm they're running towards the end of it on the other side are these like black and red marbled armored humanoid things that are launching arrows at them and it, it I had the visual of like 300 in my head where like the uh, sky darkens with how many arrows are coming at them. And it was just like brutality. Yeah, I got I, I remember the brutality, but I thought, I mean, I thought it would have more than like three survivors per bridge run, which is apparently a thing that happens often. Like I thought they, I, like I thought, the mortality rate was you may survive a few months, not you may survive a few days. Mm, well, I don't think it's quite that high. Uh, I think like uh, yeah, I know that by the end of it, they're down. They're down from forty to twenty. So it's not like th- it's like a fifty percent survival rate per per run. Uh, 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 but Bridge Four is specifically known to be uh, unlucky. Uh, the regular survival rate might be 75% per run, but multiply that by, you know, bad a few luck. runs a week uh, bad, uh, and then just throw in bad luck for good measure. Hey, y- surviving a month is kind of a miracle. All right. Well, I was about to bring something up, but that's not for that's not for like a little bit later. So I am going to wait. But this chapter... Besides the bridge crews, actually, no, I was about to say, besides learning about the bridge crews, there isn't much to talk about. But no, there is, because we also have Kaladin uh, being sold. Um, and uh, what was his name again? Uh, not a... Uh, not a... Uh, yeah, Tavlakev. Tavlakev. The... Basically, the line from his father, bitterness is repaid more often than kindness. Yeah, that definitely... uh, See, here's the thing. I don't know if that's 
precisely what happens here because I don't know if Tablakov was doing this specifically out of like spite you screwed me so I'm screwing you I, I think he was you know honestly telling the truth hey if I sell you these guys to these guys and I don't tell them you're a deserter uh, it's going to be my head on the chopping block and I have to tell them because I don't think that he was faking it when he you know, sort of uh, uh, he. I don't know if he said it or if he like, like uh, made gave Kaladin a look that said it, uh, where it's like, I'm sorry, but I can't like lie to them about this. I think that is like a specific crime that he would be committing at that point. I mean, it, it's still pretty shitty, uh, but it, it's it, it's not precisely I screw you, uh, uh, rather you screw me, so I screw you. I think it is I. Sp- you screw me, so I screw you. Because honestly, like you have to sort of, you have, sort of have to trust the narration a lot. Like there, there is like some bits of unreliable narration in these books here and there. But I think because Kaladin said, you know, I shouldn't have ripped up the map. Bitterness is re- repaid more often than kindness. I think that is basically sort of signaling to the audience that yes, that is why it happened. I think it could definitely be that. I'm not saying that it's definitely not, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, uh, it's definitely a read on this chapter where that is uh, absolutely a thing that could have happened. Where hey, you should not have done, uh, you should not have engaged in this petty act of revenge. Uh, and the result of uh, you engaging in this petty act of revenge is that this other person who was in a position to help you before has now decided to screw you. Even even if it wasn't an intentional screwing, like, have you played any of those Telltale games where it's like, X will remember that? Uh, no, but I, I know the trope you're talking about. Yeah, like, basically, because he made an enemy of Tavlakev, like, Tavlakev, you know, was thought of Kaladin in a poor light and as a result he wouldn't be willing to risk anything for him like I'm not saying like Kaladin should have become his like best friend and I still agree it was great when he tore up the map but it is sort of a thing that what you put out tends to come back towards you like especially when you're in positions of low power oh yeah absolutely like, there's, there's a reason that people in uh, retail and customer service, like, smile all the time. It's because they don't have the power to, like, tell you mean things to your face. They have to take it all. Yeah. It's also something that is particularly uh, prevalent where you have a, uh, where you have an author who is basically keeping track of things uh, because, uh as much as we may think of them as independent entities, they are also a thing, a piece of literature that is being written by someone. And I can guarantee you that Brandon Sanderson thought uh, to himself, yeah, uh, I'm going to write this in later so, uh, now so that it can come back to bite him in the ass later. Yeah, that direct karma, that isn't actually what karma is, but works for stories. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I can tell you for a fact I have done this to my uh, to uh, my players when I GM games uh, because it's like you remember that the time that you were a dick to this character well here they are and they don't like you now and you can't get it, uh, the thing that you wanted from them 
just because you were a dick. This is why I'm hesitant to have you DM a one-shot. Uh, the last one that I uh, GM'd was just, like, pure comedy. Fair uh, enough. But to be fair to me, I was in the woods when that happened. That is true. You oh, were missed. By the way, to the listeners, I was in the woods for a camping trip for my ma's birthday. I don't randomly go into the woods for satanic rituals anymore. Uh, she does occasionally run in there for, uh, for, you know, just howling at the moon purposes, but it's not so much a ritual so much as it is, you know, uh, a lifestyle choice, hobby, that kind of thing. (laughs) All right. So back to what's theoretically the point of this podcast, the chapter, the, the sheer hope and then despair in Kaladin when he almost tricks this lady and is like, yeah, no, like I was a soldier, but, you know, I just made a mistake and like got drunk and that's why I'm a slave. And like he had that moment of hope, just like, just let me fight. Yeah, like, God, finally I'll be able to kill something again. That always <laughs> makes me feel better. <laughs> oh, man. that That's, uh, that's uh, one of those things like, so this is who you are. Okay. Just, uh, it, where it's one of those things where you're like, you know, this probably objectively isn't a great thing, but you know what? Uh, I'm gonna give it to you. Uh, you need this, buddy. But then, uh, and just like in the span of a chapter, you go through and you get uh, to the end where it is just like raining death. It it, it lo- it's really like, uh, like a, a chapter from uh, from like Revelations or something where, and the bridge crews will run at the Parshendi who will rain down arrows of black death upon them. Yeah, like, oh God, when 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 he first enters the bridge crew, he meets that uh that old guy that's like, hey, just we follow- never learn his name. Yeah, 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 and he's just like, hey, follow my lead, kid. And in a book where Kaladin isn't miserable every second of his life, that uh, old man might end up being, like, his friend in the bridge crew that shows him the ropes. And, like, that old man will be, uh, like, he, he like in that story, the old man does die, but it's not until, like, three chapters later. But instead, no, that old man dies, like, almost immediately, and then Kaladin's oh, just I, straight I up all. alone. No, I expected that as soon as this guy... Uh... Showed up and was nice to him. I I I don't know if I had where I had caught on to this, but uh, Sanderson's got this trick where he, where he really wants to uh, give you a a sad chapter. He gives you a thimble full of hope and a cup full of despair. So I knew that this guy was not long for this world as soon as he showed up. It's like it. It's like it's like a. It's like an NPC in an X-Men comic book with, uh, where you get their name and backstory. They're dead. Yeah, death by backstory. Yeah, so uh, I knew that this guy, even knowing even knowing that there was very little chance that this guy was going to survive, it's still one of those things like, well, look, even here in the depths of like despair, there is this guy who, who knows how many bridge runs he's been on, how much suffering he's been through. And he's still, like, willing to talk to the new guy and uh, let him know, okay, this is what you do. This is how you breathe. March in step. Don't 
uh, you know, and, and he like walks him through like the very, very basics of being a bridgeman. Uh, uh, and I don't recall if I mentioned this in the synopsis. Uh, all the bridgemen are assigned like padded vests and sandals so that they can rest the bridge on their shoulders so that it's not digging in. Kaladin doesn't have these in the first chapter. Uh, in the first chapter that he's a bridgeman. So he's basically doing this. He's He's basically running on feet that are getting cut up and bleeding his shoulders are getting bruised and like friction burned and torn and afterwards after the horror that is the bridge run run when he wakes up the vest and sandals that he takes are the ones that belong to that guy this may be a running gag um, now that i've said it three episodes in a row but brandon sanderson who hurt you who hurt you to the point where you created the bridge runs? You know, I, I've been like watching his uh, YouTube channel. I don't think that he particularly had like a horrible childhood or something really bad happened to him. I think this is just his mind where, you know, I, I haven't had like a particularly like, uh, like, horror but there's definitely horrible things in my head like i could come up with some pretty bad stuff to do to a character so i don't think that this is like born out of trauma on sanderson's part but like damn yeah i'm 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 mostly just joking when i say that because just he's very good at torturing his characters like have you read we did put it out there that it and I don't know if you want to cut this out of the podcast, but uh, you know, you know, maybe he could be a guest on the show at some at some point. So you may get to ask him someday, Brandon, who hurt you? Brandon, show us on the doll where you were hurt. <laughs> um, but I, I I did tweet at Brandon Sanderson asking him what it would take to get him on the podcast. He did not respond. So I think I'm going to try again once we have more than 20 Twitter followers. Probably a good idea. Um, So other things I want to know. uh, I want to talk about Gaz, but I want to go in depth about him later. But right now I I want to mention the second time we've heard the name Dalinar. Um, It's mentioned um, like towards the, the middle of the chapter that Dalinar does not use bridge crews, at the very least, not ones like this. Right. Uh, Dalinar does not use human-pulled bridge crews. Uh, So, uh, and the context of this is another mention of how honorable Dalinar is, that he is the most honorable of men, and we get another, like, a moment of scoffing from Kaladin, like, He's just another light eyes. They're all corrupt universally, and that and uh, that's kind. That's like a running motif that we're gonna keep revisiting again and again. Like someone tells Kaladin, or Kaladin even has like something in front of him that's telling him that this person, whom we have not met yet, is a good and honorable person, and Kaladin's like bullshit they're all the same it's almost like it'll take a 
handsome, dashing son of a high prince to go and melt his heart and start a little whirlwind romance that'll also include a little redhead who has a sharp tongue. Uh, uh, I, I do not ship this. I don't. The, the 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 O T three the O T three is the optimal form of shipping. Uh, Vladimir. I, I I do not I, I am not arguing that I am arguing that one of the legs of this tripod are very very like it's like termites have gotten to the uh, to this wooden leg and it is basically falling apart and it will not hold like. Kaladin needs to do a shit ton of work on himself before he is remotely capable of keeping up a relationship with anyone except Syl at this point. Like, uh, like maybe someday in the far future, as of now, nah, brah, you gotta work on you. By the way, I found out there is a tweet where someone, like, joking around tweeted at Brandon Sanderson being like, when are we finally going to get the uh, triad that we deserve? And he replied to that tweet saying, well, there's a universe where Shallan and Adeline would go for it, but Kaladin's kind of a prude like me, so you'd have to convince him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Like, legitimately one of the funniest things I had ever read when when I've been on the uh, Tumblr tag for Stormlight. Uh... Interestingly enough, that is not the first time that Brandon Sanderson has had to address the role of polyamory in books that he has written. Now I'm trying to think. You would not have read this. Uh, is it one of his, like, older books or something? Uh, no. Uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's a thing from a series that I know you have not read. Uh, but he has had to deal with the subject before, and... Uh, he dealt with it mostly by not dealing with it. Eh, honestly, fair enough. Uh, also, what 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 book series? Like, I'm actually curious. What book series of his have I not read? Uh, uh well, if you this isn't like a big spoiler, uh, but uh, it, it's not his book series. It's the Wheel of Time. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. The the thing that we spent thirty minutes in the pilot episode talking about me having not read yeah uh to be fair uh that is also a poorly i don't even know if it's poorly it's just not a good representation of polyamory at least not as i would think of it uh so uh, but we can like move on from that from that because uh again spoiler talk for a series that you have not read yet right and so now we can talk about Gaz, who will no ma- I'm, 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 I, I actually no, no- I think we can talk about Gaz uh, later on. Like, uh, actually, no, I think we have to talk about him now because when we get to him uh, later on, we're gonna be like doing a deep dive on Kaladin. But there's the other big thing that we need to talk about uh, in this chapter besides Gaz is we learn her name. Oh yeah, we find out uh, Sil, Silfena. Silfrena. Silfrena. Listen, letters are things that are numerous. And sometimes they disappear like dust in the wind. 
I mean, there's 26 of them. A lot of them look like each other. And if you're me, sometimes they switch places and just like do a like flippity do thing. That is just annoying. Just do a little jig. Uh, yeah, but I think now is a good place to talk about Gaz. So Gaz is, I suspect that man will be our void bringer many times. Just sort of because he is the worst. Uh, he has one eye and he's a bad person who... One eye, he, he has one eye and a hole. He doesn't like even cover the other part up with an eye patch. It's just this empty like thing in his head. I mean, to be fair, that is a power move. Like, legit, like, respect to just not covering up your gaping hole for an eye socket. But I mean, I guess. But Gaz, he, he's like a little tyrant. He has the small power over this group of literal slaves, and he wields it like a, cl- like a cudgel. Like, he throws Kaladin into the front of the bridge because he talked back to him, like, once. Didn't give him the shoes or the vests. Like, when he finds out that the bridge leader died, it's like, oh, fucking idiots, why can't you keep a bridge leader alive for once? And I don't think he uh, even assigns one. He's just like, figure it out yourselves. No, no, no. The, uh, well, uh, well the, uh, for, uh, on the two points that you said, one, he didn't just assign Kaladin to bridge four and, you know, did all that just out of... Uh, uh, nowhere because Kaladin talked back to him he was specifically told to give this one special treatment uh, from the other soldier uh, remember that the uh, earlier the, chapter yeah the, the uh, bright lady the high, the high the rank lady the one who Kaladin got caught lying to he uh she specifically said uh give this one special treatment so uh, there's definitely an exercise of uh you know petty power there but that uh, there uh, that's it's not solely his invention, and uh, he doesn't say "figure it out yourself." He says, "I'll run ahead of you and call and call." So he acts like a, the bridge leader up until the point of the run, at which point he pieces out and lets them go by themselves. So uh, he's he's kind of what I like to think of as uh, punch clock villainy. Like he he's not a good dude. He's definitely a shit heel. Uh, of high proportions and we're gonna see this uh again and again and that his motivations are just like as petty as they get uh well i shouldn't say that Uh, but he's not a good dude uh but he's also like he's not big e evil he's like he's like a he's like a just like a a shitty like dude like he's a punch clock villain basically. honestly it would be easier if he was big e evil because when we meet like the big e evil dudes in these uh in these books like in the uh, two episodes we're gonna get to one of them i think at least like it's easy to hate them and i honestly like i don't hate them hate them hate them i dislike them for the sake of the story and enjoy that but with gaz i'm just like oh, you piece of shit he's a shit heel he, yeah. he's a shit heel uh, he's a shit heel not a villain not a villain also to the listeners i read these chapters in like two hours in a campsite so i didn't have the most close reading of them so that's why i may forget some details here and there 
he put uh, he put his ideas about this uh, chapter in a cave with a box of scraps. <laughs> do you want to do you want a second try at that so you can do it without that little stutter? Yes, please. All right, go ahead. I'll cut the I'll okay, I'll cut in 3 2 1 go. She put her ideas together about this chapter in a cave with a box of scraps. All right, awesome. But, uh, yeah, we learn about uh, Silfrenna's name, which is a reference to Sylph, like the stereotypical spirit of the wind in all JRPGs and I'm sure other Western media, but I just mostly know JRPGs. Yeah, they're they're all around, like, folklore and stuff. Uh, but, yeah, so we get to, like... Uh, and the, the way that oh, it wait, happens ho- is, holy, like... Holy shit. Paracelsus came up with the term self. I didn't know that it came from him. Yeah, like, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Sixteenth century. Yeah, sorry, I, I may, I like the Fate franchise, so I know a lot of random trivia about historical figures, but also always picture them as like rocking twinks that from anime. So. Oh fuck! Oh god! Oh uh, no! Just like the very confused uh, children out there who have gotten their history from the Fate franchise. Um, I mean, to be fair, I, I, I have learned a lot of history by playing uh, the Fate games, and then being like, I wonder what the actual historical context of this is. I mean, yeah, if you're willing to like do that, put in some work and get and get it, you know, and get the most out of it, that really works. But sometimes, but a lot of people just don't. Also, the best part is when you Google certain uh, historical and mythical figures, the the fate, uh, the picture of their fate character uh, is often uh, is often what comes up, which is the best. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, uh, what was the thing? Uh, so yeah, we, we learn Sylph's name and the circumstances of it are just like, uh, it's that thing that Sanderson does where he gives you like a spoonful of hope among the cup full of despair. Uh, we've just gone through this horrible, like apocalyptic kind of chapter with the, Br- uh, with the bridge run. And at the end of it, Sill uh, introduces herself, uh, and we get like this like little ray of like, yeah, but she's here, so maybe it's not all terrible. Like maybe this is not, you know, the absolute worst. Well, let's not let's not forget the last line of this chapter, which is there had been something more they could do for do to him. One final torment the world reserved just for Kaladin, and it was called a bridge four. So we don't exi- don't don't lie to our listeners and tell no, them no, that no, we no. end on a hopeful note. No, no, no. I, I said uh, a thimbleful of hope and a cupful of despair because it definitely ends in despair. But uh, Sanderson uh, like doles out these little like spoonfuls of hope to you during the process so that it's a little easier, so that it makes the medicine go down. Also, uh, by, by the way, the conversation about learning Sild's name is it it very directly parallels um her at her talking about kaladin 
uh, and Kaladin having a name. Because, you know, she asks Kaladin, well, why do you have a name? And he, like, takes it and is like, well, my parents told me, so I guess that's how I know. Syl, on the other hand, is like, what? I have a name? How do I have a name? And Kaladin's just like, fuck if I know. Yeah, she seems confused by the fact that she has a name. Yeah, she doesn't remember much prior to... Well, basically prior to Kaladin. She... It seems like she sort of begun her life um, as she met Kaladin. Uh, which is an important theme which we are going to be exploring. Uh, but I did want to talk about like one last thing here uh, as it relates to uh, Kaladin and this chapter. His last thought is that one final humiliation the world reserved for him. That is some myopic uh, self-importance there, sir, because you are one of a thousand bridgemen. This is not a thing that is happening solely to you, and that's how he's taking it. Like, And this is kind of indicative of uh, Kaladin, the adult's personality, where it's like, yes, of course, me. He's got, like, a serious, serious hate on for himself and a serious belief in his own relative importance that the universe is specifically tormenting him. I I will say, from a meta perspective, Bridge 4 was created solely to torment Kaladin. Like, well, yes, from the meta perspective that this is a thing that was written, Sanderson is the god who is torturing him. Yeah, but, uh, for, you know. for, like in, in the greater context of this being a piece of literature, Kaladin is one hundred percent right that this is a new torture designed specifically to break him. I mean, if we want to take it as purely meta commentary, yeah, uh, that that's a that's a brilliant piece. But also it, it, from the standpoint of just like being in Kaladin's head, you're not the only one here, dude. Like. He he uh, has the most amazing combination of a persecution complex, a martyr complex, and just boatloads of self-loathing. He really does. And uh, I was talking to a friend of ours, uh, Duffy, about it because he's going through the books right now and he's on Oathbringer and he got to a certain part and he was like, fuck this guy. Just like... It, it, Kaladin is a uh, Kaladin is like this weird mix of just like dude and then you go like dude but no seriously dude he, he's he's the classical anti-hero like he's like he has so many like flaws of his personality but also no because the 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 classic anti-hero is also charming well okay i mean to be fair, Kaladin also kind of drops my panties, but... <laughs> I mean, you know, to each their own. Alright, uh, so I believe that is it for Chapter 6. Yeah, uh, so... Bridge 4. Brin- oh, also, I forgot to give us my alternate title. Uh, which, honestly, I couldn't think of one because this was just so sad. It, it, like, honestly, the alternate title could just straight up be... A personal hell just for you. Yeah. Or everything is horrible all the time forever. 
Yeah. Uh, so uh, that brings us to chapter seven. Uh, anything reasonable. Anyway, let's let past Vlad take it away with his dulcet tones. Chapter 7. Anything Reasonable. After having been dismissed by Yasna as not being sufficient for her needs, Shalon decides to go and talk her way into Yasna's alcove. Remember, they're at the Palinadium, which is basically the world's largest library, and this is kind of like a private reading room. Without having anything to do and in order to calm her mind, and knowing that if she doesn't become Yasna's ward, and without her father, her family can no longer soul cast, it is going to lose its wealth, and her family will be made slaves or killed, and that's a lot for someone to take on. She needs something to clear her mind, so she draws. What else would an artist do? In Shalon's case, she draws pictures to such a degree of detail that it is frankly amazing. She perfectly reproduces first the city, then Yalm talking to the cab driver who tried to scam her, and she captures them so detailed that the description says it almost looks like they could live. Then she draws Yasna herself, and her description of Yasna is again one of those instances that we can call description fucking. Anyway, having finished her drawing, she writes Yasna a letter, an argument for why she should be made Yasna's ward. She reveals that, yes, it's true that she's not very educated, but she explains it. You see, in Yakaved, there isn't as much emphasis placed on education. Remember that in Voronism, a person's education is determined by their mother. Well, not only is Shalon's mother dead and her stepmother uneducated, Yakaved doesn't like to have their women learn things. That's a little troublesome, isn't it? Yeah, I thought so. But for Shalon herself, she makes the argument that everything that she has learned, she learned the hard way. She taught herself, and that has to have some measure of weight. Just as she's finished writing this letter and is getting ready to leave, an Ardent shows up. An Ardent by the name of Capsule. Capsule tells Shalon that he's trying to convert Yasna, an avowed atheist, to Voronism. Apparently for the glory of it? But before that, he spends most of his time there flirting with her. This Ardent, pretty much a monk who is sworn to celibacy, is flirting with this teenage girl. Can you tell I'm not abused? He leaves before Yasna arrives and asks her to tell Yasna that he came by to speak with her. She agrees and is almost ready to leave when, hey, Yasna shows up. Because of course she does. And we are back. Now let's Thanks, past me. Now let's talk about anything reasonable. Otherwise known as men of the cloth get under the cloth. Uh... That was meant to be an innuendo, but I also am horrible at coming up with innuendos. Uh, also, uh, I'm going to put this he uh, this here, uh, the audience, and uh, you can do with it as you uh, please. Uh, fuck this guy. Uh, fuck this guy hard. Like, uh, like uh, one of, uh, like, I, I, I said that there are, like, certain things that, like, really piss me off. 
Uh, one of them is someone who is older and in a position of relative authority. In this case, more uh, religious moral authority, like messing or playing with or almost taking advantage of somebody who is significantly younger than them and significantly more vulnerable than them. Like, oh, wow. I, uh, I did not expect that. Like, w- listeners, before we started recording, Vlad mentioned that, yeah, like, I think you know who my Voidbringer is going to be, you know, just based on my personality. I thought you were talking about the bookshop owner. Like, are, are you sure you're not, you're not, like, letting future stuff poison your view? No, I could distinctly remember when I first read uh, when I first read this. Like, uh, there there is a certain amount of like future me like slipping in here. But even when I first read it, I was like, ew, like, ew. like she. I, I I think because of how mature Shalon is, we sometimes kind of gloss over the fact that she is very young. If she were. I think she's like 16, 17. Uh, he's, isn't, she, isn't she like 19 or something? Or I, I know Kaladin no, she, is 19. Kaladin's 19. She's younger. She's like, uh, she's like 16, 17. And a capsule is in his mid twenties, at least. And, uh, and an ardent, which is like basically a priest, uh, specifically. And we are told this in this chapter, uh, bound to celibacy and he is i don't i don't know if like you caught this the first time you read it but he was like clearly flirting and and i was like dude fuck no like this is one of those things that absolutely uh like get gets to me and annoys me whenever i come across it because like i i am very much a uh caveat emptor kind of person like deal uh, deal with things as they come you're uh, you're an adult uh, you're an adult like uh, you know figure it out yourself but this is not an adult this is someone who is actually a child Uh, you know she has gone through some stuff but she is in a uh, literally a, a, a child and she is as has been noted by literally every character that we have uh, uh, that we have seen talk about her somebody who is clearly apparently innocent like a deer in the headlights kind of thing and when some uh, someone who is in a relative position of authority to her you know this is this is a priest he doesn't have like actual authority he can't command her or anything but because of her upbringing this is somebody whom shallan is trained to give deference to uh, another point which is brought up in this chapter that people from yakaved are especially uh, uh, trained to give deference to our uh, to arts and treat them in a certain manner and he is flirting with her that's not okay and and i i get that that's not going to be like everybody's point of view on it or from like the first time they read it but this was definitely something that was like ugh. just from just from like reading it okay i could let it i i can let it go i'm not saying you know burn him at the stake right now 
but it's definitely something that the first time that I read it was like, Ugh. wow. So I think this is our actual first disagreement. Like the Jasna thing, like that's just we differed on how much we liked her. I very much disagree. Like I, I really liked their interaction together. Like she, like so, like I didn't see it as him like trying to take advantage. In fact, he tried to. He made active attempts to level the playing field and being like, hey, please don't actually be devoted like that. Like, I saw it as, like, two people just honestly chatting and and having fun doing so. I, I just enjoyed their conversation together. Like, it was the first time that Shalon has actually had a chance to, like, break out with her uh, unparalleled uh, verbal skills. <laughs> I mean, I, from that point, uh, and I, I was able to, like, read it on two different levels. Uh, also, on... by the way, uh, during your three-minute rant, by the way, I counted, I looked up Shalon's age. She's about 17, 18 here. Uh, but in any, ca- in any case, I, I am able to read it on two different levels where uh, it's kind of nice that she gets something like, th- uh, like this, where she gets a, a chance to be more uh, playful. And if... And if this were someone else, I I would have much less of a problem with it. It's the specific aspect of uh, relative age and positions of authority and, you know, the priest. I I do. And just if she were older, I I, and I am able to, like, read it separate from that. I I. Experienced enough in you know reading stuff by this point that I can sort of separate out things. Just reading it from that perspective and taking out of my immediate quick reaction, it is kind of not nice to see Shalon getting to be a bit more, a bit more loose, a bit more playful, a little bit like uh, what she was able to do with um, uh, what's his name, uh, with uh, with Yal, uh, with Yalb. So I did enjoy from that standpoint where she gets to be just a little like looser. And she hasn't had much of an opportunity to do that. Also, I didn't really read it as flirting. Like, I think it can be. And like, I think it, but honestly, I, it's honestly seems like Hasbal like acts like that with everybody. Just the way he has his general demeanor. Like, Shalon could have been a, like, 80-year-old dude with the same personality, and I think he would have said a fair amount of the same things. Maybe, and maybe it's because of, like, my specific training in, th- in things, but I, I I did get, like, a bit of a, like, grooming behavior out of this kind of, like, um... Uh, kind of like, oh, don't think of me a, uh, as an ardent. Think of me as a uh, as a guy first. That kind of thing. Where on one level, that's actually kind of good. On another level, it's like a step down that road. You know what I mean? God, I also think that could just be his way of like, you know, his way of being an ardent. Like those priests that are like sitting on ch- on chairs backwards with a baseball cap being like, all right, kids, how about we talk about a pretty cool dude? His name was Jesus Christ. 
which I honestly don't have a problem with because at that point that's kind of uh, uh that's kind of like I'm doing my best to relate this thing to you and I am not cool but I am trying to be with it like the young kids there's a certain element of that where it's performative and obviously lame that makes it like kind of endearing to me uh, even as a even as a a kid uh, when someone in that position uh, was like doing that with me i i found it lame but also kind of okay i get it i'll give you a break dude just like chill out but given the specifics of it i i don't i don't know it might be a sensitivity of mine uh, but uh, i kind of saw it I disagree, but I think we should sort of move on from it because I don't think we're sort of getting anything new out of this argument. No, we we can talk about the rest of the conversation in in total because there is, like, interesting stuff to go into there. Yeah, okay. So talking about some of the specifics of the conversation, uh, Vlad, anything you want to start with? Uh, Well, this is where we find out that Yakoved is... uh, uh, more religious it might be the wrong way of phrasing it but more devout uh, defer- uh, more not even more devout because i think the uh, deferential to ardens i think is the right way of putting it because uh the alethi are very devout but their devoutedness takes the form of let's go out and conquer so they're they're less adherent to the figures rather uh, unlike Yakoved, which is more adherent to the uh the figureheads of the religion the ardents so they yeah, yeah uh, I, I think it might be the difference between a group that's using the religion when convenient like in order to justify their wars which would be uh uh yeah, Alekthar, yeah. and then Yakoved, which may just actually be actually into voranism uh, yeah uh, that, that's uh, that's not a, a bad way of putting it um the other thing that we learn here is that uh uh capsule mistakes shallan as a retainer of uh yasna's and he says that he is here because he wants to convert yasna to voranism quote unquote for the glory of it. Uh, like, I don't think even... No one thinks, including Caspal, that he will actually convert uh, Jasna. I like Jasna. Listen, listen, guys. P- listen, part two. There are a lot... <laughs> there, are, there, are a, there are a lot of letters in the alphabet, and sometimes they look alike, and sometimes they don't. But either way, sometimes I will make, make them up. And sometimes they make weird noises that they definitely shouldn't. But yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think anyone involved, especially Cabsol, thinks that he will convert y- uh, Yasna. I uh, did, did, now who's bringing in uh, context from later chapters? No, like e- e- no, I'm not. Like even in this, he's like, well, yeah, I mean, like I got to at least try. Otherwise, you know, like what kind of ardent would I be? But I think it's more like. Yeah, I mean, I gotta do it because, you know, it's my job, but I expect to mostly just have some fun conversation and maybe do a pun or three. Yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, 
Eh, uh, that's a fair way of reading. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna argue it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if his actual goal wasn't to get her to let him uh, dance a jig on the tab- table. Uh, yeah, isn't that I mean? Uh, I mean, if he does, if he does, it, it, I think she would do it to him, but she wouldn't do it because she thinks it's funny. I think she would do it to him to make uh, to teach him a lesson. Like, are you done? Was that supposed to do anything? I'm calling your bluff. You happy now? Honestly, like, sometimes it's not for the other person's reaction. It's for you. It's for your own spiritual fulfillment, you know? He doesn't doesn't dance the jig for others. He dances the jig for the Almighty. (laughs) Oh, man. Did I just stumble upon the best title for this episode? Dance the jig for the Almighty? No, damn Possibly? it. God. All right, let's con- let's continue on. So uh, uh, during the conversation, Jacoved uh, is much more religious than uh, um, Alekthar. Yeah. Uh, and he 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 talks to her. He flirts with uh, with her. It's a it's kind of a nice conversation, honestly. Uh, I don't think there's like that much of substance of it except that uh he they kind of make like not plans but sort of like hey if i see you later i'll uh remember this and uh shallan tells him that she likes jam casbald will remember this casbald will uh, capsule capsule listen listen guys part three like less than a minute after part one, names uh, are and hard. I think this time, it, and I think this time it's appropriate for uh, for me to step in. Uh, listen, y'all, I have a I have a problem. Um, words slip out of my mouth because uh, I I am a pedantic pain in the ass, and I uh, like I'm not I don't mean to be an asshole and like correct pronunciation. Even though I am an asshole and create uh, correct pronunciation all the time, I kind of can't help it. Uh, we're all trying, you know. We're doing our best. Yeah, but anyways, so the end of the chapter is uh, pronounce the name for me, Vlad. Oh, uh, Capsule. Uh, K name. Capsule. Uh, Capsule. Yeah, Capsule. At the end of the chapter, Capsule asks Shalon to be like. Hey, tell, uh, uh, tell, uh, God, hold up. Listen, listeners. Yasna? Yeah, Yasna. Just, you know what? I'm going to take a break. It's just going to be a 10 second break. This will be cut out of the podcast, but I just need to breathe. Well, okay, listeners. I just had a little bit of a nervous breakdown. So now I'm back and ready to pronounce names. And we are properly hydrated now. So I think that will help. So now, something that we almost forgot about was the reason Shalon met uh, met Cabsol. Uh, wow. Okay, that break apparently did not work for that. The uh, I think it's that you've been pronouncing it one way in your head this whole time, uh, and now you're trying to adjust to my pronunciation of it, which is which I get because I read the audiobook. Honestly, it's also probably the dyslexia. So, like, I just keep on mixing up the internals of it. Yeah, yeah, I feel that hard, man. Uh, uh, 
that is a problem uh, I deal with too. Um, but we have uh, the reason that uh, Cab Saul and Shalon met is that Shalon was writing a letter to Jasna, to Yasna. And uh, we should probably talk about the contents of it because it's uh, a. Well, oh, go ahead. Just, just one quick point because this is going to come back. Uh, they met because Shalon was writing this letter to Yasna in Yasna's alcove like reading space that had been reserved for her that she talked her way into that she was not supposed to and yeah uh, her uh her uh and, her study her stu- her study room like yeah she uh, she talked her way uh into yasna's study room which uh depending on how you want to take it uh, it is kind of like talking your way backstage i mean she barely she literally had to do nothing to talk her way in she was just like Hey, uh, d- where's uh, Yasna's uh, study uh, alcove? I need to go there. And they're like, "Oh, it's right over there." It's yeah, like, I, "Okay, I, it's thanks. definitely see ya." Yeah, no, I, I don't think that this was like, um, like a like a really considered plan on her part. So much as it was, "Oh, you look like an important person. Of course, we'll let you in there." Uh, and also yeah. the the it, the idea that Shalon who's a person with constant anxiety who apparent who always has a deer in the headlights look like unless she's being her bomb ass self like the fact that it's like oh you look like you're panicking and about to you know just sort of dry heave yeah there's the uh there's the uh there's the second in line for the thrones uh study hall you can go in there yeah you're not da- you don't look like you're a danger to anyone but yourself so go in have a seat Take a breath. You'll be fine. <laughs> but so, uh, Shalon decides to entreat uh, Yasna one more time with a. Uh, uh, oh, go ahead. With a, with a no uh, with a with a letter and um, uh, uh, this was uh, one of the moments that made me like that really endeared Shalon to me because the she thinks about it. She thinks about her audience and what she is trying to do. And she real and she thinks about it logically. Okay, this is Yasna. She's like uh, the thing that is going to get uh, uh, work best is a letter because that is uh, that is what she considered to be most important. It is what she uh, uh, tested me on. It's what she kind of dinged me on. So I'm gonna write her a letter to prove that I can write, and I am going to write it. Not as an emotional plea, but as a logical plea, because that is what will work best for my audience. She approached this exactly the way that I do when I am at my best lawyerly self. This was Shalon with the instincts of a lawyer. And that was one of the moments where it's like, yes, you and I would get along. Well, I mean, apparently you hate her uh, new best friend Cabsol, so I don't know about that. Uh, that 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 was yeah. a joke. Let's not start the argument again, please. We have more book to go, get through. Yeah, but uh, the the really interesting parts that she reveals here is that she is that she is ignorant. She's not trying to hide it. It's, it's like, look, I wasn't educated by anyone but myself. Because I didn't have anyone to educate me. Everything that I did, I learned the hard way. I uh, uh, learned it 
by uh, hitting the books and learning because that was the only way to do uh, that was the only way to do it and would you prefer to have someone who did it that way than somebody who just had a really expensive education and had stuff dictated to them which uh, that's a pretty good argument and uh we also get the fact that apparently in Yakoved uh they uh, uh i think we've said that education or rather uh, certain kinds of education are specifically uh, only for women. So like math, science, history, those kinds of things are only for women. But in Yakabed, apparently they also aren't for anyone because they don't place an emphasis on teaching that to their daughters. So there, there's an uh, there's like an element there of like, yeah, uh, this is like women's stuff, but it's also not important. So we're not going to like, we're not going to bother teaching it to most people. It's fine if you don't know. So it also has that element of like, this is why I think, I think of Yakaved as like the like poor cousin to, uh, to Alethkar where it's like, oh, you're, you're, you're just like, you want to be in ignorance. I'm sorry. We're on, like, sorry. Like. I, I was I'm rereading the letter as you're mentioning this, but I, uh, I don't. It, I don't... it says uh, it is a it is a carefully guarded secret. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, uh, uh, it is a carefully guarded secret. But many of the rural Vaden houses ignore the proper training of their women. Yeah, like that. That's referring to the stepmom. Basically, in Jakaved, they the stepmom came from the like shit tier parts of Jacobed. Like uh, well well so does so does Shalon. Shalon comes from like rural Jacobet Yakoved. So what what I'm talking about is like that there are like these a lot of like the rural places in Yakoved, like basically away from the big cities, they have a much poorer education system and they don't even bother to uh, to like educate uh, women. Yeah, I'm not saying that this was like the whole country as like a thing, but because Shalon is the one, the one Vaden that we spend the most time with, uh, I, I do sometimes like get like, like Shalon uh, conflated with Vadenar and her up bringing conflated with Vadenar as a whole. To be fair, you know, if everyone in Vadenar was like Shalon, I think the world would be a much I, worse place. Yeah, I like, o- I almost said better place, and I was like, wait a second. As much as I love yeah. Shalon. She is, how do you say, nuts? Uh, I was gonna say doesn't have proper healthy coping mechanisms, but okay. Uh, the the other thing is, and this is some, again, there are. I had uh, this chapter was full of moments where I'm like, holy shit, you're cool. Uh, also, uh, like, also, also, she did she did have like several tutors, but apparently they were just all scared off by her dad, and that's why they she didn't get any more. So like they they yeah, I think they, they did... lasted like a couple of months at most. Yeah. So it's like over the course of her entire life, she had like three tutors for a few months, and yeah, I, they... I, I, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that she's lying about being um, self-taught like she is, but there was a bit of an effort. I think it's just that her dad was kind of the pits, so like no one yeah. wanted to teach Shalon because it's like, uh, no, we got like we're not going to. Uh... We're not. We we're, yeah, this. yeah. We're not gonna deal with Mister Devar. 
Uh, the other thing, yeah, the other thing here, and this was another like really like uh, cool thing, where uh, when Capsule's asking her because he sees her incredible drawing skill, and he's like, "Holy shit, you did these! Wow, who did you? Where did you learn from? Who was your master?" And Shalon gives the name of this guy, and, and Capsule's like. That is amazing that he taught you this, especially when he's been dead for like 200 years or something. And uh, Shalon's like, I got, uh, I read his book on uh, drawing and Capsule's response, which I do, I do like Capsule's like response is like, man, I need to read more books. But the fact that Shalon got this incredible. I think I may be harping on this a bit much because I am an artist myself, but this incredible level of talent from reading a book. Well, I mean, she, she, to, 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 to be to be fair, she also sketches literally all the time. So, like, it is it is even when you do it is it is years of practice and repetition. It is, but even with years of practice and repetition. The fact that she has gotten to the level of skill that she has, that's not just uh, the uh, talent and hard work will get you far, but a talent plus uh, 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 talent plus hard work will get you way farther. Yeah. She she works her ass off uh, to uh, to refine her skill, but there is no doubt that she has an incredible level of talent. By, by the way, can I read off the specific line when? Uh... When uh, uh, co- capsule, capsule. When capsule uh, is you know like, hey, isn't that dude dead? Because it's a good line, but it's not words of radiance worthy. But I still want to say it, and it's. Sure. I'm rather intrigued how Dandos Heraldin could have trained you in the in in arts, as last I checked, he's suffering from a rather terminal and perpetual ailment, namely that of being dead for three hundred years. Like he like he's he, he he's witty he's yeah, witty he, like honestly like his dialogue is basically if Shalon didn't have a filter cuz like that that is yeah. that is stuff that Shalon has said in her head before like oh yeah yeah you know he is definitely going to be encouraging the uh, this side of Shalon just like come on this is one of the things that like Shalon needs in her life someone to like poke her and like Come on, stop it with the proper bullshit. What are you really thinking? Come on, you know you want to go off. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Also, but I think that's it for this chapter. So, yes. Next, we are going uh, to listen we're going to listen to Vlad recap Nearer the Flame or as I renamed it, Drag His Ashalon. Oh man, that, that's a- that's not bad. Uh, oh, yes, take it away, past me. Chapter 8. Nearer the Flame. Yasna scolds Shalon for basically sneaking into her private reading space and telling her that she already made her decision and that Shalon is intruding. Shalon is embarrassed that she disturbed Yasna again and leaves. After only a few moments, however, Yasna calls her back from the elevator and apologizes to her. She says that she's been under a lot of stress and that she didn't mean to speak so unkindly. Also, Shalon left a bunch of money behind and Yasna was not about to steal it. Shalon asks Yasna to read the letter that she wrote, whereupon she discovers that 
the letter had actually been buried under a pile of books and would not have been found if she hadn't been here to point it out. Yasna is actually pretty impressed that Shalon is largely self-taught and agrees to accept Shalon as her ward once she has adequately learned philosophy and history, the major subjects that Shalon has been, you know, not educated in, and the major subjects of Yasna's own study. Shalon is pleased by this, however, not pleased enough. It would take way too long, and she's not going to be able to do it before her family goes destitute. Shalon leaves the uh, Palinaeum and meets uh, up with Yalb outside, who has been gambling with some guards. In fact, he's been cheating these guards, and if Shalon hadn't shown up, he would have been thrown in jail, beaten, killed. You know, dealer's choice. Yalb insists that Shalon is talented enough to be accepted, and that she's only been rejected twice. Third time is lucky. So, this is Brandon Sanderson letting us know, yes, I'm very aware of the rule of threes. So, Shalon decides to buy a bunch of books on history and philosophy and start studying them like a madwoman until right before Yasna is going to leave, then petition her to be her ward again. She's kind of trying to cram a year or two worth of study into a week or two. She then returns to the Palinaeum gets a room right next to Yasna so that she can keep an eye on her. Before long, however, she's interrupted by Yasna herself, who paid the servants to let her know if Shalon returned to the Palinaeum. And she has a moment of like, oh man, I should have put some kind of time limit on this. Otherwise, of course you were just going to try again in, in like a week or two. Yasna asks to see Shalon's satchel. She looks through it. She looks at all the drawings, the drawing of herself that is so lifelike and that everyone is so impressed by, and she raises an eyebrow. But what she is ultimately most impressed by is when she comes across Shalon's sketches and notes on biology. She asks why Shalon made them, to which Shalon replies, she just wanted to. And this is the ultimate fact that convinces Yasna to take Shalon on as her ward. Because, more than anything else, Shalon studies for the sake of study. And this, finally, is something Yasna can respect. Of course, in her own mind, what Shalon is thinking that, Yes, part one of the plan to steal from this woman has been accomplished. Now she just needs to figure out how to do it without being caught. And we are back, I hope. Otherwise, I am very bad at editing. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, we're coming back from that cliffhanger that ended the previous chapter where, dun, 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 Yasna walks in. Yasna! Flavio! Yasna! Flavio! And that, dear listeners, it's what it's like to, uh, watch a Spanish soap opera. <laughs> but so, uh... Last we saw, Yasna showed up looking pissed, and that does not change between pages, and basically kicks Shalon out and saying, like, please leave me alone, you're the pits. Uh, she, it wasn't like, I, I think you, you, you may be overstating, it's like, it's not the pits, I am overstating for comedic effects. Yeah, because uh, uh, I, I, Yasna, even when she was like, 
even here in the very beginning of this chapter, she is like, uh, she's like, I told you what my response is, and you kind of invade my space. Like you just, you're here now. Uh, at th- at this point, I think she is like justifiably like, uh, what are you doing here? Yeah, it, 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 this is one of the this is one of the few times I am not mad at early Asna for being mean to Shalon. Like I I accept that this is my Shalon bias. Like being like, ah, oh, don't you dare say that to her. Shalon's not being malicious. That's not the that's yeah. not the case here. It's like she genuinely did not think. Oh, it might be a little weird for me to like come here. This is like her space, and also, she also, absolutely also, should have left. Yeah. Also, I, had, I I think she was planning on leaving. She was planning on just yeah, like it, she was planning on writing the note and leaving it there. Like she would have gotten away if it, if it wasn't for that meddling ardent. <laughs> but also, what's so sad is like she kind of shows some signs of past abuse, like in how. Like basically seeing Yasna so angry kind of she triggers her. Down. It, it's, yeah, it's like it, it's a really like sad moment. And uh, it, and as much as I love Yasna in this moment, when you're with Shalon, you're definitely with her. Like, oh, you're you're oh no no, you're, you're having a real like you're ha- she has like basically a panic attack at yeah. on the way out. Yeah, like and, it's literally a panic attack. Like she curls, yeah. she literally curls up into a ball. Like tries to like breathe, can't. Like pain spreads show up, even though it like just from her mental pain, pain spreads yeah. show up. Yeah. Uh, and th- and then uh, to make matters worse, before she can get away effectively, a servant comes by and calls her back to Yasna, uh, the person who has just kicked her out and who has just triggered this. Uh, and here is like one of those moments oh my god i just forgot to i just forgot to mention something from last chapter but the area they're in the uh study alcoves outside of the uh giant library is called the veil just keep keep that in mind people because i didn't and so i kind of screamed when i read this chapter knowing wider context (laughs) um but uh, here is also this was simultaneously one of the moments that uh, Yasna seemed like the worst, but also the best because she immediately calls her back and she apologizes to Shalon. Uh, like that was uh, that was how rude of me. It was me. It was mean. It was too. Uh, it was too much. I'm uh, I'm really exhausted. I've been you know working on some uh, on something and I'm sorry about that. And also you left. A bunch of money here that is rightfully yours, and I don't want you to lose uh, to lose it. So she she was she actively realized what she was doing and uh, went back uh, went back and like apologized for it. So she was able to recognize that yeah she wasn't being impolite, but she also wasn't being kind. So and she you know she 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 self corrected. Yeah. Bitterness is repaid more often than kindness, so try to put out as much kindness as you can. Sorry, I'm just trying to tie this back into Kaladin's chapter, even though they are so disconnected. <laughs> it's it, it's really tough with these earlier uh, chapters. Well, because um, they're but... they're based they're they're not exactly a continent apart, but they may as well be. 
No, I think they're literally a continent apart, aren't they? Uh, like, at least the the city of Bells is like weirdly close to the Shattered Plains. Uh, last last time we were reading, I looked it up and I was like, "Wait a second, hold up!" Like they're this close to the Shattered Plains? Yeah, they're not that far. Yeah, like honestly, uh, I thought it was like on the uh, like on the western end of the continent, just sort of like. I had no reason to think that, but that's just sort of how my, uh, that's just sort of how my brain was working. But no, it's basically, it's basically just on the far end of the Frostlands, and then you basically walk a bit up and you hit the Shattered Plains. Yeah, well, a bit is like... It's, 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 it's it's still... It's it's fantasy, it's fantasy a bit, where it's like four weeks of travel. Yeah. Uh, But, um, uh... What happens next is like uh, Shalon thanks her. Uh, she accepts the apology and she uh, asks, uh, "Hey, did you happen to uh, read that letter?" No, and, actually, uh, that is not what happens. Before she asks about the letter, uh, well, first of all, the reason that Yasna called her back is she forgot her money, uh, yeah. which she was also using as a light source. But also, before she says anything about herself, she just. Like, also, she completely forgot about forgetting her money, which, I mean, panic attack, fair. But the first yeah. thing she says is, oh, by the way, uh, Ardent uh, Cabsol wanted to speak with you. And just, like, pa- like she, just the fact that she sort of thought of that first before asking about her letter. Yeah, she, she thought about uh, the other person first. Yeah, just that, I just want to, like, make sure that we, that we note that part of her personality. Yeah. Uh, but uh, she asks about the letter, and had she not come back, uh, it's entirely possible Yasna would never have seen the letter because it was like under a pile of books uh, that had been uh, laid down. So Yasna might never have seen it, but she sees it and she's impressed. And she says, "Is this true? You're completely self-taught. You know what? You're right. That is that is commendable." Uh, uh, I, uh, I accept this. I, you know what? I'll give you another shot. I've never done this before, but I will give you another chance to petition me to be my ward once you've corrected the gaps in your knowledge, uh, so that you can properly do this. Now, uh, yeah, which... go hardline some Red Bull and study the fuck up. Like uh, pull... I. <laughs> I, I no, that's what's gonna happen. That's not what Yasna was saying. <laughs> well, I mean I that, she... that that that's basically what when okay, Vladimir, you're a human being. You know that whenever someone says, "Yeah, okay," just like oh, if, I if, knew if, exactly yeah. what was happening. I it's like I, yeah, hey, I'm amazed Yasna like, didn't know what she was saying. It's like hey, yeah, once you know these things, you know you'll be ready to be my apprentice. Like whenever someone tells you to like yeah, just learn these things and then it'll be good, like. That's that's when you just that's when you hook up an IV filled with methamphetamines or whatever it is that like bumps up your heart rate and just do an all nighter studying your engineering textbook, hoping to God that you don't fail the next exam because you really can't retake this class a third time. Wow, that got deeply personal. Yeah, we we were different kinds of students, young lady. Uh, (laughs) Uh. Uh, that would have like given me a heart attack. Uh, you're, what you're describing is like half my class in law school. Uh, I could not have lived like that if I had tried. I needed to like 
be consistently studying throughout the semester in order to do anything. Otherwise, I would have been fucked. Uh, uh, but that said, I could tell immediately from when she said this, oh, Shalon's going to go and uh, try and fix this immediately, isn't she? Yep, yeah, that's exactly Although, to be fair, And, and she, I'm amazed that she... Yaza didn't get it. Like, oh, fuck. I should have said, like, no, like, in a year you could try this or something else. Like, <laughs> she, just, she, like... she also literally, she literally says, oh, wow, I should have set a time li- limit on that. But uh, she I mean, comes back and says it like, when she realizes, oh, of course you were going to do this. Why didn't I think of this? Yeah. Although that that, <laughs> that is followed up with kind of a game-recognized game moment. It is. It is. Uh, also, Shalon does, like, to be fair to Shalon and Yasna, Yasna doesn't know that Shalon has a giant time limit with a literal threats to her life. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Yasna's operating, like, uh, under a different... Uh, conception of things and I don't know if you sort of got this uh, from uh, from where uh, from uh, reading these chapters but this is where I got the idea that given the relative level of Yasna's uh, skill and mastery I don't think that this is like applying to college I think this is more akin to applying like to grad school because this is not like basic education this is high tier you are doing research and pushing the uh, pushing you know the the field forward so i i I honestly i don't think we can really translate like applying to like no no no. it 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 doesn't work yeah yeah it it doesn't really work but Uh, but this was sort of where i got that idea like oh this isn't about basic education like she she like Yasna doesn't take on wards to teach them. She takes on wards to have them help her in, like, changing the world. Yeah, that, that's that's where this idea started coming into my head. Like, the, she's not looking for, like, a student so much as she is, like... I, I don't a know research assistant? A research assistant, a TA, something like that. Uh, somebody who is going to help you further your thing, not just someone who, you know, who you can, like, sit down and hear here learn these maths but uh, uh anyways uh shalon after she meets up with the alb who apparently committed the grave sin of trying to predict the future through gambling and also stole a bunch of money from some cops i mean no 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 no, no. he did not steal the money from the cops he cheated the uh, the cops out of their money there is a difference there is a difference. I mean, they're they're uh, also still cops. They're so like, yeah, take what you want and go. But she tells the story to Yalb, and she's like all down on her stuff. And Yalb is like, well, you've got to try one more time. The third, uh, uh, twice is fine, but the third one is lucky. And this was one of the big meta moments for me in the book where it's like, Fuck you, Brandon Sanderson. Fuck you for uh, for doing this to me. Yeah, for, uh, fuck you for making me laugh so fucking hard right now. Because you are basically flashing the rule of threes in my face. And like, here, here, here. You're going to see this. You're going to see this. You're going to see this. And it's like, oh, god damn you. I hate you so much. <laughs> because he is literally saying, no, it's the rule of threes. You have to. It's a three-part trial, a trial fail cycle. You have to try a third time. 
Uh, but I, I, as as good as that is, I do want to go back to what I mentioned, which is it's apparently a sin to predict the future. Yes. Uh, and I think I was planning on maybe bringing this up after we did all the chapters, but like all of Brandon Sanderson's works, which is one of my favorite things, is they have these kind of like paragraphs, usually, you know, parts of a letter or a diary or random things about the world at the beginning of the chapters. And in the beginning of the chapters for this first part of The Way of Kings is basically speeches collected from dying people that seem to have prophetic value. So, like, there's some interesting stuff about the domain of divination. You know, I think this may be a... I think you may want to cut this out and save this for the next episode where we do the interlude stuff because I think... Like, this is, like, really good uh, inter- stuff for the interludes because we haven't been touching on these at all. And so I think that would be a really good place to talk about them. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, cut most, I'll cut it in a way that allow it to, like, make sense in the flow. But anyways. Yeah. <clears throat> so af- after Yal breaks the fourth wall and punches Vlad in the face, <laughs> uh, Shalon <laughs> decides to go to the local book merchant's. And that is where we get my title for this chapter. Drag his ass, Shalon. Because, like, she goes in, like, this guy, like, I, like he's, I don't think he's malicious or, like, sexist or anything in any particular way. But he is like, ah, oh, man, yeah, I'll just, like, sell this girl some dumb romance novel. And she goes fucking off. Like, she, 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 like, you know that meme where it's like, I'm gonna end this man's whole career. Like she did that to this man. She ended this man's career. Oh, I, I think I think you are actually underselling it because it, it, she doesn't just like oh, you I, know, I, I, flip her I, shit and start cursing this. Oh, I, I I I wasn't even done. Like like you oh, said, please, like you please, said, no, take it away. She, take it away. Give me more. Give me more. She she like you said, she doesn't flip her shit. She doesn't just curse him out. No, she verbally assassinates this man. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. Like, have have you seen uh, God, have you ever seen uh boxing matches where it's just like, you see this one dude getting wailed on and wailed on, and for maybe a second or two you think they might be pulling a Rocky, but no, they just keep on getting wailed on, and then they just end up knocked out on the de- ground and like die from brain damage a few months later. So, and on top of that, she made him complicit in it. She like rope doped him all the way yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. Just like what she, ha, 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 she halfway, with- half, halfway through, halfway through, she tricked him into thinking they were like t- playing together in this. And then it's like, oh, you thought? No, you just fell into my trap. I activate mirror force. Now you feel dumb. <laughs> oh man, it's it's it was so good. Hold up, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna read another line here. Uh, it was the one about sarcasm, where it's uh, brightness. I believe you stray into sarcasm. Funny, I thought I'd run straight into it, screaming at the top of my lungs. Oh man! Like, oh. God. Uh, also, of course, this this fake ass merchant it, like tries to basically uh, haggle her out of out of cash by when he sells she you know ends up buying some history and i think one of the uh philosophers she buys a book on is the shin philosopher yeah she she has 
the uh, the bookseller only has one book by this uh, one uh, Shin uh, log- uh, logistician. Uh, and Shalon's like, I didn't even know the Shin had lo- uh, logic masters. Apparently they do. Uh, but she buys like, this like big collection of books and uh, the merchant tries to sell it to her for like five times its worth. I will let you have this for ten emerald bromes. And yeah. Which for for scale and context, that's a whole lot of money. That's a that's a whole lot of bromes, by the way. And then Yaub comes in with the fucking save, proving that he is in fact best boy, and like pretends to be a page from another shop that's like, hey, listen, I, we'll cut you a deal, you know, we'll let you have the books for like a lower price. And basically haggles this guy down to, I think it was two and a half emerald bromes. It's like two and a half uh, emerald bromes. So yeah, he, he was literally trying to sell this to her for like five times its actual worth. I think they also managed to haggle it down below its actual worth. So I think they also managed to swindle him. Yeah. Uh, Yalb is the goat uh, uh, of uh, Shalad's earlier chapters. Like, he, he's the one who convinces her to try one more time. He's the one uh, who, like, uh, comes in with a save on the uh, on the bookseller. Like, Yalb, I don't know what would have happened with Shalon if Yalb had not been here. Because she was getting ready to, like, put some books back because she couldn't afford it. And Shalon's not poor. The, uh, the, uh, he was asking for, like... I don't know what the equivalent in U.S. dollars would be, but like thousands of dollars for these books. And Yalb came in with the save, and she was thinking about like putting some back. But doesn't she mention something like, "Yeah, like because we've been, I've been traveling so long, like I spent a lot." Like I'm not saying like she's like in dire straits, but like, like she she is working in like a reduced like money. What? Well, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yalb Yalb saves the day. Yeah. Uh. And so Shalom gets her book. Gets her books. She takes them back to the Vale. She finds out she can't afford to actually study in the Palinaeum and check out some books because it cost a thousand emerald bromes to be admitted into the Palinaeum. You could buy like five hundred books with that with that much shit. You could buy, like, an entire estate with that uh, much shit. Although we did, we we learned that in the previous chapter, but yeah, it's good that we brought it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, it, because that's, a, like, a, a, that's, like, a good scale for money. Yeah. But, um, um, but also, uh, it's mentioned that the reason it's so expensive is they need the money to fund their numerous hospitals. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the king of Carbranth, Taravangian, uh, has numerous hospitals that he uh, funds uh, personally. So the funds from the Palinaeum are basically taken and used to fund these hospitals. Isn't that isn't that nice of him? You're you're not baiting me into spoiler talk this time, Vlad. I'm not cutting out. I'm not, I'm not cutting out more of this uh, podcast. I'm not baiting you at all. I'm saying that is a very uh, nice thing to do. I am sure that there are uh, very many people in Carbranth who uh, who would uh, not uh, uh, who would otherwise not benefit from this if the king were not uh, uh, funding this. Uh, But 
that very much aside, uh, Shallan basically takes the next room over from Yasna. It's like, I got to keep an eye on her. I'm going to study. I'm going to study. And right before she leaves, I'm going to try one more time. Yeah, and, and then Yasna is like, hey, you do know you were literally right across the hall from me. I could see you the entire time. No, no, no. Yasna paid the uh, servants to let her know if Shalon came back. She, she, she was just aware enough to be like, hey, uh, let me know if this lady comes back. Just like, keep an eye on her for me. But she, you know, notices that Shalon's like planning to like mainline some Red Bull and uh, do a all-nighter. Wait, is that the second? That's the second time I used the mainliner Red Bull joke. Fuck. Anyways, she mainlined some monster energy. That means you have to use it one more time. Uh, she, well, she mainlined some monster energy. And, uh, but anyway, Jasna shows up, you know, sees that she's studying, and then is like, wait a second, what are these pictures? And. Well, what she does is, uh, the, the way that she does it is uh, very specific. She's like almost imperiously, like, let me, uh, let me check out your satchel. And, uh, you know, Shalon hands over like her, all her material. So Yasna goes through it like, huh, you've got some good books. These aren't, these aren't actually half bad. But then she gets to Shalon's, not the picture, uh, not the incredible picture of the city, not the incredible picture of uh, Yalb and the guy uh, from uh, who was trying to swindle her last episode, not the insanely beautiful picture of Yasna herself. The thing that hooks Yasna are the pictures of the sky eels that that Shalon drew. And when she, you know, she asks, well, "Hey, why did you draw, you know, this thing?" And she's like, "Well, you know, I just I like studying shit." And find and you know, finding out that Shalon does scholarship for scholarship's sake, and not for any reason like uh, moving up in the world or like getting power, is what impressed. Uh, is what impressed Yasna the most. It, well, what's really interesting about that to me is that uh, Yasna has grown up around power. She's always grown up with wealth and power in a position of uh, privilege. And she has been aware for a large part of her life that sometimes, a lot of times, people are going to come into her life basically to try and socially climb. Uh, by getting near her some way and in this world in this context one of the best ways to climb up would be to become yasna's ward and thereby improve your marriage prospects such that you uh, you could make an alliance and a marriage with somebody of much higher station than you could otherwise so yasna's had to deal with this fact most of her life where people are going to try and get close to me because they want something from me because they want to socially climb and what she is seeing here yeah is like that... you might even try to get engaged like one of her cousins or something yeah i mean who would imagine who would even think it but here what she sees is that and i think i don't know if this is the time that we as the audience realized it because we at this point know that shalon is here to steal from yasna but shalon never had to do those sketches to steal from Yasna. Shalon wants this. She wants to study beyond having to, you know, pull off a heist to save her family. She wants, 
being Yasna's ward is a thing that she would have wanted anyway because what she wants the most is to learn, to study, to discover. That is what is in her head and that is her passion. And Yasna basically says, no, I still think that you, you know, want something from me and that you basically want to do this to improve your station, but I don't care. You study for study's sake. That's enough for me. I'll take you on. I I will make you my ward. It, Shalon is like if Danny Ocean like also really wanted to get into grad school. <laughs> it's like, alright, just so you know, guys, yeah, I am leading a heist in this casino, and like, yeah, we are going to like totally rob this place and possibly cause a bunch of accidental deaths due to like using an EMP in the middle of New in in Las Vegas. I don't know. I haven't seen uh, Ocean the Ocean's good, movie. That's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good summation. Uh, but uh, but go. just so you know, I am only doing this because I really want to go to NYU. <laughs> oh, it, uh, or I'm really only doing this because there is this amazing gallery in this place and I just want to go and study it in it for a little while. So we gotta rob it to get in there. Guys, I know that there are literal guns to our heads saying, hey, if you don't rob this place, you will be killed along with the rest of your families. But know that we we aren't only doing it for that. We're also doing it because they have a goddamn Van Gogh in there and I really want to take a good look at it. Oh man, that 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 may that may be the best uh, version of the uh, the Ocean's Eleven's movies that we'll never see. Well, hey, you never know what'll happen in the future. I may become a world famous film director slash engineer slash podcast host. Well, when you do, uh, well, when you do, remember your co uh, your co hosts. Oh no, I'm I'm replacing you with the McElroy McElroy brother as soon as humanly possible. Like I mean, I, I hear one of those physical and moral cowards. I, I, I at I, least I, 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 at I, least I, get Matt Mercer. I mean, I hear Griffin is like on the hunt for the next big uh, podcast that he can like hop into. So, like, I, 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 ha- I have been DMing him, seeing if he'd be willing to be the wit to my bridge girl. Oh, he is the worst. Like of all the McElroys, you would replace me with the worst one. Not even Clint. You couldn't get Clint? Well, uh, hold up. You think I'm good enough to get Clint? Yes, I believe you're good enough to get Clint. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, thank you. Second of all, I mean, I hear I hear that apparently Griffin did a lot of, does a lot of the editing from a Bim Bam, so I'm also thinking I might be able to hoist some of that onto him. Well, that's also a benefit. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't I honestly I don't think Travis or Justin would take any shit. So I don't think I'd be able to like force them to edit. Eh, that's fair. All right. <laughs> I mean, if you just want to work me, you'll find get Griffin. All right, awesome. You know what? You, you you can stay as my as my uh as my co-host, but we'll uh we'll get Griffin McElroy of my brother, my brother and me fame to edit our podcast. Uh, probably to redo all my lines uh, from any episodes that I've actually recorded as well. <laughs> All right, so I think uh, I think that's it for uh, unfortunately the last Shalon chapter we're gonna have for a while. Yes, and uh, that takes us into uh, the last three episodes. Uh, pardon me, 
that takes us into the last three chapters of part one uh, and into Kaladin's chapters, uh, or as I like to uh, call them, everything is sad and it's always been sad. And God, please just give me something. All right, so let's have past Vlad take it away with chapter nine, Damnation. Or as I like to call it, Tien! Tien! <laughs> Chapter 9, Damnation. Kaladin has now been a member of the bridge crews from somewhere between two and four weeks. He's actually lost any real sense of time at this point, so we really just don't know. Of the 25 people who survived his first bridge run, only one man is still alive. This is not completely unusual, but Bridge 4 is apparently extra unlucky, and they have even more casualties on bridge runs than other people do. A few times they get lucky, and the Prashendi are already done with whatever they're doing during the battle. It's important to note that at this point, Kaladin has no idea why these battles are being fought. Other times they get lucky, and their army arrives first to the plateau, and they get to do whatever it is that they're doing before the Parshendi arrive. Again, Kaladin has no idea. On this particular day, a few new arrivals are brought in, and Kaladin sees a young boy who reminds him of his younger brother, Tien. Kaladin is handling the whole transition into bridge life pretty badly. He hasn't spoken in days, and when he does speak, he is snapping at Syl and becoming despondent. Syl leaves, promising to come back if she's able, because she can't be with him in her current state. The crews are called to another bridge run, and it's a bad one. The boy who reminded Kaladin of his brother dies, along with the only other man who was remaining from Kaladin's first bridge run. Kaladin thinks to himself that he is dead inside, and then begins to cry for the first time in months. And we are back. And in this chapter, we find out that after about two weeks, only one other person that was in the bridge run with Kaladin is left alive from that first bridge run. Yeah. Uh, 25% mortality rate multiplied by multiple uh, runs per week multiplied by... I don't think even Kaladin knows how long it's been. It's somewhere between two weeks and four weeks. So yeah, the, the, between the, two weeks and yeah, a month. The wiki, he loses sense of time. The, the, wi just... the wiki says two to four weeks. So, uh, by, by the by, by the by the way, would you like to would you like to hear the wiki one of the sentences in the wiki description? Sure. In general, Kaladin is having the transition to life as a bridge crew member poorly. Like, which is like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, a bit of an understatement. Yeah, I, I was using the uh, the wiki when I was doing the synopsis, so I remember that line. It's like, yeah, that's one way of phrasing it. I mean, like he he's watched like probably watched over a hundred people die physically right next to him. I think yeah, it's going a little poorly. I mean, I mean, first of all, thank you, Coppermind editors, for doing these chapter synopses. They actually do make these episodes much easier to, like, go through. But, 
Yeah, I think he is handling it a little poorly. Uh, I'm not sure if I would like to meet the person who would handle it well. But uh, this is one of the uh, chapters where we are in Kaladin's head. And uh, he is clearly in deep, deep depression. And just like he is down, down there. And it is uh, just like dark in his head. He is severely depressed. It's so bad. Sill leaves. That that was one of the things that uh, like almost like broke me for that chapter where it's like, holy shit, Sill leaves because he is so far gone into depression. Yeah, it's like we we met Sill like what a hundred pages ago or so, like, and I still like. If if imagine if like Sill just left and like I don't know joined Shalon's story, I probably would have cried if she just actually left left Kaladin. Because spoilers for later in this recap episode, she does come back in the sweetest moments. Yeah, it. it uh, it, I I was talk, uh, like I said I was talking about this with Duffy and it, one of the things that we said was. Uh, Kaladin's most redeeming quality is Sill. I mean, I like to think it's his abs, but you do you. Well, yes, obviously his abs. We can take that as red. Like a rockin' pair of abs is, like, I I have literally spent my entire adult life either trying to get them back or having them and trying to get and to maintain them. We can take that part as red, but we're dealing with the like inner squishy bits of Kaladin, not the outer rock hard bits. Yeah, he he's hard on the outside, but so, but soft on the inside. And by soft, I mean like soft like a body that's been sprayed with acid and just like sad and crying, which is where we end up leaving Kaladin at the end of it. Because the reason I named this chapter Tian, Tian is because a, a there's a young new bridge boy who looks like Kaladin's little brother Tien and also one other person who is from the initial bridge run that he did and this chapter in the bridge run they just both die and it's like well that's sad and Kaladin curls up in a ball and cries this chapter is all about the horror of just living this life it, it is pure like depression and sadness and pain Callan hasn't spoken for days and when he does speak his voice is coming out like croaky and he doesn't want sill to leave but sill leaves because she says that if she stays with him she's afraid that she's gonna lose herself hey and she's afraid that if she leaves, she's going to lose uh, lose herself too. But it would be worse if she stayed here with him while he was like this. It's just like, it's just such a sad chapter that you're like, that you're like damn. I don't, I don't know if it would, if I would like be okay if, Sill never came back. Uh, well, absolutely. Uh, it, we'll get to it when we get uh, when we get to it. But I have like a very specific thing that this reminded me of uh, when we get to uh, 
what happens with him in uh, the last chapter that we'll talk about today. Uh, yeah, um, I will also say this is when we get uh, some more sage advice from uh, Papa Kaladin, where it's talking about there are two people in this world, those that kill and those that save. And Kaladin uh, thought there was a third group, you know, people that kill others to save others. But it turns out, well, for depressed Kaladin, the third group is the victims at the mercy of the killers or the saviors. Yeah. Uh, Which, like, I, he... if I remember correctly, the metaphor of, like, the third group of people is something that comes back a fair bit in this book, at least. And is always a metaphor for where Kaladin's mind is at the time. Like uh, it's it's a th- it's a theme and a motif for Kaladin. Who are the third group? Uh, which I think is actually a really good lead into uh, chapter ten. Uh, this one I think goes by a lot faster. Well, uh, damnation goes by a lot faster. I mean, yeah, like the. We'll, we'll probably speed through these last chapters so we can talk about Kaladin as a whole because, damn, do we need to talk about Kaladin as a whole? Because, uh, at, and who, who we also have to talk about is Cal, which, our, which, Vlad will, which Vlad will tell us, which past Vlad will tell us about as he recaps chapter 10, Stories of Surgeons. Or, as I like to call it, Baby Cal is so precious and adorable and don't let him join the army because, oh my god. <laughs> I admit I probably should have come up with more concise titles for these last few, but I did get so emotional. They're, they're, they're rough. They're, they delve into some truly like dark night of the soul kind of stuff. Well, anyways, take us away, past Vladimir. Chapter 10. Stories of Surgeons. Cal helps his father, Lyrin, treat a young woman named Sani. He reflects over the course of the surgery on how his family is treated so differently because of his father's career. When they finish amputating Sani's middle finger because it had been mangled and that was the only way to save the hand, a fact which her family isn't going to care about because all they're going to see is that their daughter is now maimed for life. Liren asks Kaladin why he was late to arrive to the surgery. Kaladin replies that he was with a boy by the name of Jan who was showing them the quarterstaff. This sparks a debate between Kaladin and Liren about the relative merits of being a soldier or a surgeon. Liren meets Kaladin's claim that it's possible to save lives by killing others, with a highly suspicious argument that, yeah, there are major flaws in. Eventually, Kaladin kind of just gives up and goes back to cleaning the room. While he's doing that, Liren quizzes him on various things that a surgeon should know and tells him that he plans to send him to Carbranth to train as a surgeon when he gets old enough. Liren also tells him that he is incredibly gifted when it comes to surgery and that he shouldn't waste his time with other pursuits, especially something as lowly as soldiering. And we are back. And we got to see one of the few times that Kaladin isn't as depressed as he usually is, which required him to be a literal child. You know, sometimes 
like I dislike adult Cal uh, Kaladin. I really like Kid Cal. Like, uh, like he he's like he's like a he's like a he's not a quite a moppet, but he's kind of like uh you know I think precocious is the right word. Like <laughs> you're a fun kid. That is a pretty good way of describing him. And I will yeah. say, I love the sort of literary technique, maybe. I don't know if that's the right word, but the fact that he has a nickname that basically makes him a completely different character from Kaladin. It's a good disambiguation. Yeah, and, and it's a good signifier as well, because there is a point where Cal transitions into Kaladin, and uh, it has significance that... Cal makes him sound more like the other dark eyes in his village. Like Cal is, Cal is like trying to fit in. He's trying to find his way in this particular place and time, this particular world that he is in. And so they're they are almost different people. Yeah, like. Kaladin has been through several metaphorical deaths and rebirths, and Baby Cal is like before five of those. I mean, let me think. Let me think. Uh, I, I I think talking about I'm counting four off the top of my head, like four that I could think of. Are Are you remembering the uh, thing with the armor? Yes, uh, that, uh, that, that I counted that as uh, number two. Right. Uh, anyways, in less spoilery stuff, uh, his father was a surgeon who literally surgeoned for free. Uh, which, I, I think this may be one of the uh, things that we uh, wind up arguing about, but uh, Liren, Kaladin's father, fuck this guy. Like, it's great that you're a surgeon. It's great that you are trying to help people. But this chapter and what he does here lays the seed for Kaladin's lifelong sense of failure and regret. Like, the things that he says here are the things that we hear Kaladin lashing himself with literally forever. Yeah, he literally hears the ghost of his father, although I don't know if he's dead. He's not dead. Yeah. He's not dead. As much as as Kaladin wishes, he hears, he doesn't hear the actual ghost of his father. Um, Yeah. But he, he, like, it's a metaphorical ghost. He meets meets the metaphorical ghost of his father. He hears, he hears the metaphorical ghost of his father all the time but like i i don't think the father is and it's I, never I, a good context i, I don't it's n- i don't think the father is a good person but i don't i think like compare i don't think he's that i don't think he's a particularly bad father like oh god i oh wait 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 hold up i I need to sort of articulate it a bit more because the words I'm saying aren't really reflecting my brain. No, the, the, and this is complicated. I, I, I believe me. I, I get it. 
and I have like very specific reasons why I dislike this man so much. But I, I think he is kind of, he sort of is, despite a lot of his failings as a father, a very strong moral person. Like him being like, why do we need soldiers if we're if we if the only people at our borders are you know other Alethi like. Like there are two people in this world, and I don't want to be the kind of person that kills. And it's it's interesting. It's an, he has an interesting moral outlook. Yeah, and but his moral outlook is very much. Um, uh, I I don't remember if it was Plato or Aristotle, uh, but he he went around Athens talking to different peoples of you know different stations of life, different professions, and uh, to try and work out what was right and wrong and invariably what either plato or aristotle i can't remember which one uh found was that each person saw what was right and wrong through the very narrow lens of their own profession so what he uh, what he lyran considers right and wrong is viewing the world very much through a very narrow view of what is right and wrong it is it's honestly it's not ill-intentioned but it is myopic and one of the things that he is not seeing in his myopia is his son is the needs of his son because what he is doing in this chapter is putting an incredible sense of uh, of weighted guilt onto Kaladin an incredible sen- uh, uh, sense that there is only that there is an absolute morality and that Kaladin needs to abide by it and if he doesn't he is a failure he is denigrating his son's interests he, he's not paying attention and he is putting on his son all this expectation that he kaladin needs to live up to a thing and if he doesn't he will have let his father down this man is the reason why we have kaladin the way he is now and that, that failure, not as a surgeon, not as a person, but as a father, that is one of the things that makes me hate this guy so much. I am finding out about, about so many strong feelings you have about characters I did not expect you to have strong feelings about. And I am honestly here for it. <laughs> the, well... The thing is, I have spent a good deal of my life thinking about what kind of man I want to be, what kind of father I want to be. And when I, when I see things like this, where what you're doing isn't opening up the world, but like closing it off and making it difficult and putting all these roadblocks in front of someone whom you are charged and like privileged to protect and try and guide and help and instead of 
doing that. He he's using rhetoric in order to in order to tell his son that yeah this is stupid uh, this is stupid why would you want to go and hang out with your fr- uh, with your friends uh, stay here uh, stay here and do uh, and live up to my expectation uh, that he's not, he's not like evil but that is a failure uh, uh, of parenting of fatherhood like what you do as a parent as a father is to try and encourage uh, try and build up uh, your kid you're uh, you know when my nieces are around i don't tell uh, i try my best to sort of take my cues to them well what do you think about this what do you know uh, i try and work it out through their a lens and give them whatever tools I have uh, to try uh, and use to try and figure thing, uh, things out. You open the world. You don't close it off. Like this, this is just horrible. And like I said, this is the source of Kaladin's pain as he grows up. This is. His father is the thing that he is, his father's outlook on life and his received morality from his father is the thing that he is going to have to get past in order to grow and become whole. I I can't put it any better than that. It's a pretty good way of explaining uh, your position on this. I I do agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, But what else besides Kaladin's uh, dad can we bring up? Um... We find uh, find out uh, about... Uh, uh, we find out definitely that his uh, uh, that they are of higher non, uh, which is the relative uh, class levels of dark eyes. Yeah, uh, the uh, uh, Lyran, uh, the Kaladin's dad, mentions that their grandfathers had uh, basically worked it, yeah, bought, worked, bought, and bought yeah, them worked themselves the and bought, yeah, allowing them the right of travel and full citizenship. Which another another reason to not like uh, the uh, Alethi culture is that if you're too poor, not only can you not travel like through monetary restrictions, but also through legal restrictions. Uh, yeah. I, and the other thing is, uh, I don't. I think it was here that uh, I learned that the name for that the the light eyes have a similar class structure, but theirs is called Don instead of Non, and that is where I realized that these are like levels of belts in martial arts. <laughs> it's like your it's your like, gra- your grandfather fought all his life to get that black belt and now it's been passed on to you. Exactly. It's like the, the it's like the whole, the whole like structure is basically like it, it's a military rank system grafted onto society and just like Oh God, this is so weird. No one, no wonder this is so fucked up. None of you understand anything except like how to be an army, do you? You know, we learned a little bit more about Tien. Like he was excited about joining the army with Cal. Yeah, um, we don't get very much aside from uh, Kaladin and his father. And Kaladin uh, had been, you know, spending time with uh, the, uh, Jam. the older boy, spending time Jan. with Jam. You know, oh man, uh, what a sick Shalon reference. Oh shit, that is a Shalon reference. 
I did not catch that. So, I'm so glad for that like little pause where you just had to think about it for a second. <laughs> oh, that's dope. Uh, but yeah, so we find out that Kaladin is not not only knows uh, uh, about you know surgical stuff, he is trained in this. He has been training in it for at this point, I think since he was eight years old, uh, and he he's he's currently short enough that he needs to stand on a stool in order to see the surgery. Uh, so just like. There's like a there's like a level of this which is kind of adorable where it's like Calvin's like what like three feet tall and peeking over the side of this table but the thing that's going on in this table is surgery so it's like this juxtaposition like what the fuck but uh, in the in this world that's actually perfectly normal uh, kids start training with their elders in their craft uh, around the same age like six seven eight years old if he were a light eyes at the same time he would have uh, started training with the sword uh, in order to you know gain, uh, gain the skills of uh, uh his future profession yeah, also i god i think i remember reading somewhere that like years in roshar are longer than years in our world so like I think so, so like the eight, their ages don't match up to their physical or mental maturity like one for one for what we have. Yeah, but uh, I I took it more from uh the description the physical description of Kaladin uh because uh, he we are told that he has to like he ha- he has to like use a stool uh, to be able to see over things. So I I know that it's not the same, but that he's still like he's still growing and he's still i picture him in my head very much moppet like okay so uh sorry i i I mostly brought it up because i uh i wanted to bring up the different calendar so apparently the days uh, the year is 500 uh days long and days are 20 hours long or 20 hours long Mm. well that's interesting i wonder what that works out to in like earth days uh okay so uh Okay, the, they did the math on Copper Mind. Once again, thank you so much, Copper Mind Wiki. You guys are the best. A Ro- thank you for saving, uh, for saving us from math. A Rosharian year is equivalent to 1.1 Earth years. So actually not that, not that much not, of a not difference. Not that far off. Yeah. I mean, it, it does add up. Like every 10 years, it basically becomes an extra year added to your theoretical age. So Kaladin is more 22 than he is 20, but although that, to be fair, isn't really that big of a jump. Although, at 22, I did hate 20-year-olds with a burning passion. But to be even more fair, I hated 20-year-olds when I was 20-year-olds as a, with a burning passion, so. You know, I've never, I've never, like, had the thing where I hate people for being different ages, like, oh, oh no! I, I just hate everyone. I'm a misanthrope supreme. If you, oh, if, okay. if you, that, may, that makes total sense. If you heard my narration, you'd be like, "Oh God, please get me back to Kaladin." Oh, oh, I'd rather doubt that. You're way funnier. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, now that we have talked about Baby Cal, now we will hear. Vla- uh, past Vlad talk about chapter 11 
droplets, or as I like to call it, actually, oh god, I didn't come up with a name for this. Vlad, do you have anything? A contemplation on suicide? Well, that's just depressing. It's a depressing-ass chapter. It ends really hopefully, though. I, it does. It, it does. It ends beautifully, but that sink is low. You, you know what? I, I've come up with another name for it, and this one isn't even a joke like most of the others are. I'm just going to call it Birth Through Darkness, because he was reborn by going to the yeah, darkest that's, place. That's much better. Yeah, so... By the way, I counted as number four. Wait, what do you mean number four? Oh, Rebirth number That's four? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I think I... Yeah, oh god, I can't... For some for some reason, I forgot to count uh, him being betrayed by Amaram as, uh, as one of his rebirths. His, like, death as a soldier being reborn as a slave. Uh, you're gonna have to cut that out of the podcast. Uh, uh, we we we, but... we we know he was betrayed by Emran. That was said in like the third second oh, yeah, chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What uh, what am I thinking? But uh, also, I, th- I think is, I th- there we, is a... we literally had the... that same conversation uh, last episode. We keep having this conversation because I think I keep forgetting. Uh, but l- let's see. There is uh, the trans the death of Cal and the birth of Cal. Well, hold hold hold, hold up. This is going into actual spoiler territory. So. Let's let's okay. let past Vlad's dulcet tones lull us to sleep, and then wake back up with our interesting, I hope, discussion on Chapter Eleven Droplets, or as I like to call it, Birth Through Darkness. Chapter Eleven, Droplets. At the end of the day, a high storm kicked up, and just after the high storm, Kaladin goes out. It's not completely safe to do so, but he's made a decision. He's going to go to the only place in the camps that bridgemen are allowed to go where they are not still essentially trapped within the army. He's going to the honor chasm to commit suicide. Along the way, Gas stops him, accusing him of trying to steal spheres left out in the high storm to be reinfused. However, when Kaladin tells him that he's going to the honor chasm, Gas shuts up. Just as Kaladin is about to step into the chasm, Syl reappears. She is carrying a single leaf of blackbane, which she had to carry for who knows how long, with the powers of a tiny spread who have incredibly difficult time interacting with anything physically. And she did all this hoping to make Kaladin happy, because she believes that Kaladin was happy when he had the leaves. You know, when he was planning on using them to kill a man. Kaladin expresses his frustrations with his previous failures to protect people. Syl convinces him to try one more time, arguing essentially that the bridgemen are going to die anyway, it's not like he can hurt anything. This, amazingly, works. It gives him not a spark of hope, but maybe a spark of a direction to go. Kaladin returns to camp and attacks Gaz, basically grabbing him, throwing him to the ground, looking at him dead in the eye and saying, Hey, I'm the captain now. He's going to be the new bridge leader of Bridge 4, which gives Kaladin authority when they are on bridge runs, and Gaz is going to do everything that he can to stay the fuck out of Kaladin's way. For this, Kaladin is going to give Gaz one-fifth of his pay. Gaz agrees both because he needs the money and because he is currently very afraid of Kaladin, 
who is about like a foot taller than him. Kaladin goes back inside the barracks and begins talking to the other bridgemen, noticing for the first time how pathetic they are. He basically bullies them all into giving him their names. Some of them do so eagerly, some of them do so reluctantly, but eventually they all do. And this is where we meet one of the best characters in the book. This is Teft. Teft is going to be your friend. Get to know him. And we are back. And would you look at that? I think it's that little thing called hope. Been a while since we saw it, but here it is. And, and it comes to us through a storm bearing a leaf. Is that a reference? Did, did, I, did, I, for, did I forget something the, in this? That's the thing that happens in the chapter. Still brings him a leaf, a black oh, I, Well, Okay, I, I, I remembered the leaf thing, but I thought you were talking... I first of all, I don't really think of Syl as a storm bringing him. Well, whatever. No, she comes. No, she comes through a storm because uh, the. Okay, okay. you uh, I, I, I get what you mean now. You're just, you're very metaphorical, and I was like, what the fuck? Like you, you were, I, you, you were both metaphorical and literal at the same time in a way that my baby brain doesn't work. Oh. <laughs> uh. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, so at the beginning of this chapter, we see Cal Kaladin make a choice. Uh, he decides that the only thing that he can do is basically to off himself. He's going to go to the only place that he that the Bringemen are allowed to go, where they're not basically surrounded by the army, uh, which is to the honor chasm, and jump down he he has decided to commit suicide yeah and one more point in the gaz is a piece of shit column is he sees kaladin going and it's like hey kaladin leave your leave your uh leave your shoes and vest we don't want to climb down to get them off your corpse uh well in in addition to that before he says this uh he said hey he accuses kaladin of being out in the rain to try and steals fears because that uh, gaz is out there uh reinfusing his fears with stormlight because it's cheaper than taking it to a money lender uh to have them do it for uh, for you and gaz is very hard up for money and every sphere counts uh but while he's accusing him of this uh the minute that Kaladin says, I'm going to the honor chasm. Gaz basically shuts up for a second, like, oh. That is both a tick against him, because he's a he's a greedy pain in the ass, but also, he at least respected it enough to be like, oh, I'm not gonna stop you. Yeah, but he is gonna make sure he doesn't have to climb down and take his clothes off his corpse. Again, piece of shit. But anyway, we're, like, honestly... I have my own experiences with suicidal thoughts and tendencies, so I don't really want to dwell too long on Kaladin's thought process because it kind of it it's very intense to me. It's very intense and really sad, and uh, it, it, the only thing that I want to like note about it is that he is thinking about his father in this moment. But when he is at his darkest, when he is, you know. Uh, he, he, he's literally standing on the edge through the storm he sees a light coming towards him like a little bobbing 
thing and it's sill and she has been flying back to him like remember she is a tiny metaphor of a thing she's a metaphor given substance and it's not a and it's not a lot she has to work to like do anything and she has through a high storm found a leaf of blackbane and brought it to kaladin because she wants to make him happy and that is just if that was one of those uh, moments by, by, like by the way like real uh, real quick thing so we don't get too emotional because i want to break it up with a little bit the little bit of comedy that i sort of felt is that when she was carrying the uh blackbane leaves she was apparently just in the shape of a sky eel to like carry it better which is just sort of funny to me yeah but uh, but all, but but also sometimes the, uh, we forget just how malleable she is she we think of her as like a a a girl because that's the shape that she takes with Kaladin a lot of time, but she can she can be whatever she wants. But, and, but all, sometimes she just does it for fun. But also super sweet is that Kaladin immediately recognizes her as Syl. Yeah, he 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 has no question about is this just some sky eel? Oh, it's no, it's Syl in the form of a sky eel. It, it, if uh if any of our listeners are Rick Riordan fans. This kind of makes me think of Magnus Chase and Alex from the uh, Gods of Asgard series where like Magnus always knows if um like who Alex a shapeshifter is and what gender they are because they're gender fluid and and uh Magnus is the only person like takes one look at Alex like oh I know what gender you are even if there aren't any outward presentations just sort of this sweet adorable understanding between two people that goes beyond even physical and mental and into just sort of the emotional like metaphysical level of understanding i need to read some rick reardon uh, it, it uh, it's one of those gaps in my uh in my literature history uh, that just haven't like... to be fair it is a bit out of your age range like the reason i still read his stuff is because i literally grew up with uh, percy jackson yeah, but I mean, uh, I've like read younger stuff uh, for a long time. Uh, that's not uh, that's not the craziest thing. Like I read the whole Twilight series, and I uh, that was definitely not in my age range. Although I did hate it. Yeah, it's because it's poor. Okay, I have a lot. I, I I have I have a lot. I we, ha- we can't go. We can't go down this road. We will literally talk about this. Forever. Actually, no. You know what? Listen. I'm going to give my brief but complex feelings on the Twilight series. First of all, okay. it's poorly written, and the way that a lot of it is written sort of um, promotes and like glorifies a lot of examples of unhealthy relationships. Also, the uh, specific tribe that Jacob is a part of is an actual tribe of like 40 people that uh, uh, Stephanie Meyer kind of basically stole off stuff from their culture and provided no credit to them. But at the same time, I feel the culture behind hating Twilight in itself is kind of damaging because a lot of it was was mostly based on the idea of hating teenage girls for liking things as teenage girls. So it is a bit of a complex thing. There is definitely that to it, which is... That's why I read it, basically, because there was so much like hate on for it. And I was like, well... Let me actually give this a shot. See what uh, see what it's there, and you know maybe 
it, it, maybe I, I, it's some kind of bias that I'm not acknowledging and that I need to correct. So that that's why I read the book. Uh, the book, and uh, I found it to be, as you said, poorly written and uh, often glorifying unhealthy relationships. Yeah. So basically, T- TLDR. It's a bad book series, but the hate behind it comes from a not good place. Anyways, back uh, to Kaladin's although suicide. There is, although there, although uh, I don't think that we can hate on anyone who doesn't like the fact that there is definitely a part where uh, a guy falls in love with a baby and decides we, that he's going to marry it. Can we not so, talk about that? Can, can yeah, we can we yeah. go back to Kaladin's suicide? Like please, uh, I, I know I I, yes. know, I know I said that it like kind of triggers me a bit, but I would rather talk about that than that weird <laughs> uh, baby thing. Yeah, uh, and there is actually a, there is something specific that uh, the whole interaction between Syl and Kaladin brought to my, uh, to mind, uh, where it's uh, it, it's a thing that I have like heard uh, heard that uh, there are people who have like consider. Uh, considered suicide and they're having suicidal thoughts and one of the things that has like like pulled them back from it is their 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 pet their uh, their animal it's like but if i did that what would happen to my dog my cat who would take care of them what would happen to uh, to them and uh, that very specific interaction like really brought that to mind for me that there is this person in his life however dark his life is there is someone here whom he cares about and whom he however bad it is he wants to be here for them and the fact that Callan has this connection is what brings him back and that's just like that it got to me that was like that was that was like one of the like really sweetest moments just like this is why we love Syl. Like, like love Syl, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, Syl is honestly literally so amazing. Like, I feel like a lot of the time when I think about the characters in general, like, I tend to, like, you tend to sort of break characters down into their basis piece when you, like, think about things as a whole. But, like, sometimes even I, like, I still is amazing and she has so many multifacets to it and creates so many amazing interactions especially with Kaladin and it's just beautiful that she is the one that keeps Kaladin safe that protects him even from himself like as I honestly as I mentioned in the in the last episode She's basically her his emotional support uh, spren, like yeah. support spren, best friend, uh, that is like no their therapist. Like honestly, the, their yeah. their their relationship is so complex and multifaceted. I don't think there's any wrong way to interpret their relationship. Like no. it, it, it is like of course discounting it, it things that like make them not like each other, but like. You can see it as familial, as like fr- uh, platonic friendship. Like, even though I don't ship it, like I would understand why people do because they're two people that do just sort of care each other in this intrinsic way. Yeah, I mean they they have they have maybe one of the 
strongest bonds in the series and uh i use that word advisedly but there is i can't and i can't talk about it uh uh, but this particular relationship of these type of relationships is maybe the tightest one that i think we've seen and the most fleshed out and like beautiful it's beautiful no i i I don't want to i don't want to say like beautiful because i think that's also that might actually like almost be reductive to it uh, because there is a warmth to it and a rightness to it and i honestly can't consider kaladin without sill like if sill if sill were not part of kaladin's story uh, kaladin would be basically irredeemable to me like, yeah like, I, I could not with, without with like without sill like kaladin literally would be dead like well th- there's that uh, but i mean even aside from that uh, just like she is and uh, she is the thing that like almost humanizes him and not well not humanizes him she's the thing that brings just like a little touch of like light like levity to it I, like she's she's like the she's like that little bit of light it just it, you don't need a lot but it's just that little bit of light that keeps Kaladin from like being swallowed up in just like that the, the, the thing is when you said humanizes him I think that actually is just a really good way to put it because when we first meet slave Kaladin he 100% has basically removed himself from humanity. Like, Syl is the reason he didn't, like, leave humanity not only in the physical sense of his suicide, but in the mental sense of, like, allow... People are made of connections. Like, people say that a person is made up of their memories, but I believe a person is made up of other people's memories of them and without sill kaladin basically is a living ghost without any connections like and having sill having this person that is with him that encourages him to exist pretty much like in chap in two chapters ago in chapter what was it nine when she's like, Kaladin, you haven't spoken in two days. Like, just forcing him to talk. Forcing him to be in existence other than walking flesh. Humanizes him. Like... No, no, that's... that. that I, I, w- I was reluctant to use that specific word. But I think it's apt in the, in the way that we're using it now. Because Kaladin is is dehumanizing himself he is removing himself and he is by by whatever uh, by whatever uh, for whatever reasons he is removing himself from i from identity basically he is stripping himself down to just this base thing in the dark and we're gonna get a name for it uh, later on but i mean i think that thing it, is just called depression but i mean there's also a metaphysical thing but okay my sort of view on the self is 
slightly different. I think it's not incompatible because um, my belief is that we are balanced. That to be human requires a necessary balance between who you are internally and who you are in your connections. Uh, so I don't think that stripped of connections, we are nothing, but without them, we are left with just what is inside. And it, there's a lot of dark stuff inside. And so we need those things to give us an outlet, give us a push uh, to let us push against it. It without it, it we're just like locked in a box. We're, we're locked in, uh, we're locked in a prison of flesh that can't fly or smell dark matter or extend beyond a limited span of years. But with it, with those connections, what we are on the inside, we can become like ripples in a pond we can extend our existence beyond ourselves by the effect that we have on those around us and it doesn't need to be world changing the fact that you can you know uh, go to uh, someone and say eh, hi how are you doing you look nice today and that can have an effect on them in a positive way that's enough I mean, it may not change the world, but it might change their, uh, it might change their day. And it, chaos, and if chaos theory is to be believed, the smallest of effects, uh, bah, the smallest of causes can result in the greatest of effects. That is a beautiful way of putting it, that you kind of legit brought a little bit of tears to my eyes. Yeah, I, I was a philosophy minor, and it basically would have been a, another major of mine if uh, if I had been willing to write, to basically write a dissertation in college. I have spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff, and uh, I, I don't know if you know if you know this, but you know how like uh, I have a sleeve going down my arm. Uh, uh yes. Of uh, tattoos. I, uh, I, I figured you weren't a never nude that only cared about your arm. Uh, wow. Well, I'm that too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, each one of the uh, the tattoos in there, and it's made up of a collage of different things, uh, is uh, the entire right arm is dedicated to that belief of mine that everything is balanced the, between the self and the world. Uh, so, and I, I take different things from different properties. So I've got something from Star Wars that's, uh, you know, light side and dark side, something from Mass Effect, uh, Paragon and Renegade, uh, so, uh, something from uh, Harry Potter that is uh, 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 embrace, li uh, embrace life, don't be afraid of de death. The, uh, the Wonder Woman Superman tattoo is... Uh, the balance between uh, man and woman and uh, sort of there is no there is no and the whole idea of it it is that the binaries are only there as examples and things to think about and what you actually want to be is a thing in the middle 
That's a pretty good. That's a pretty awesome uh, sleeve. I've been itching to add to it too. Uh, you should definitely, uh, definitely keep our listeners updated if you do come up with something to add to it. But uh, we are we are running a little bit long, so I do want to sort of go through the rest of this chapter. Um, Sill manages to convince Kaladin to you know do one more try in what I think is just a beautiful way, saying. You just said you're at rock bottom, that these people are going to die anyway, so what does it matter if you fail to help them? So just one more try. And that's just such a great way of Sill to just sort of push Kaladin on a bit. Yeah, it's like, there are no stakes. Like, if you fail, you haven't lost anything. But if you succeed, you might actually help someone out of this horrible situation. So what do you have to lose? And Kaladin basically does go through a rebirth. Like, once he comes back, first of all, he literally tells Gaz that, hey, I died down there, now you're dealing with my ghost. But, like, he, the way he talks, the way he thinks, the way he acts, like, it is completely different. He's he's got he's got he's got a bit more of a, a Kaladin the bridge leader in him, not the bridge leader. Kaladin the platoon the, leader, uh, the platoon leader in him. He's got that. He's not he's not all the way back, but he's got something of that in him. Yeah, he he's uh, he's clinging on to, like this isn't the most healthy of coping mechanisms, but by turning his turning creating a mission. For him to be forced to live to complete, that's how he's able to keep his, you know, his mind and wits about him. Like, you know, it's it's a way to cope by creating a goal for yourself that you're forced, that you're, you know, forcing yourself to achieve. But yeah, it, everything about him has changed. Like, Cal- this is a new Kaladin. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, this I count as resurrection number four. I think I said. Yeah. yeah. I think I said, and we we have at least one more to come, but this this is a like a region. At least one more in this book. I'm pretty sure each book has a minimum of five resurrections for Kaladin. Oh God, yeah, like it, it, nine lives would not be enough. It just wouldn't. Like, listen, I, I uh, love Kaladin. I love the way he's written by Brandon Sanderson. But if this was made into, you know, any sort of visual media, half of Cal- half of the shots of Kaladin would just be him in, like, a crucifixion pose. Oh, God. Like, Cal- 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 Kaladin's standing, like, resting posture is a crucifixion. I mean, uh, given both his uh, martyr complex and his and his persecution complex, yeah, yeah, that's that's apt. That is apt. Um, but he come he comes back. He basically tells Gaz, "Hey, asshole, I uh, you're dealing with me now, and we're gonna make a deal." I'm gonna give you. Uh, I'm gonna give you a fifth of my pay. I'm the new bridge leader of Bridge Four, and you're gonna do everything in your power to stay the fuck out of my way. 
Also, an, an, another thing that's so different is how he's handling other people. Like, Kaladin three pages ago, like... What, Would yeah. not have thought of, uh, of like, I have to bribe him because this is what's important to him. He, he is now actively thinking about other people. Yeah, like, it's, it's honestly very good. It's very well written. But I don't think there's anything else we have to talk about that isn't like recap based which you know uh dulcet dulcet toned vlad already managed to go through all of that but uh it, it's not but the one thing uh, that i did that i did uh, want to note for uh you here is that at the very end of this chapter we meet teft wait we hold up did i well yeah once again i i tend to not be a close reader so like i really have to force myself to uh, yeah uh, is that okay? Oh it, my god! One, it, it's it's the one name we get. Oh my god! I, how did I not? It's fucking. It, we meet the first of our boys. Yeah, our, one of our boys is here. One of our best boys. D- got guys. The squad this is, is coming. Uncle. The squad is coming. We we have grumpy uncle, grunkle. <laughs> Isn't, isn't the, uh, isn't Grunkle, okay, I know Grunkle is the Gravity Falls thing, isn't that because he's, like, a great uncle? Like, your, our grandpa uncle? Uh, I've never seen Gravity Falls, I just, I have, I had heard the, uh, the name, the phrase Grunkle, and I took that as Grumpy Uncle. Uh, alright, so all, uh, all of our fans out there... Which, you know, also Brandon Sanderson, I know you're listening. Reply to my tweet, how, what will it take to get you onto this podcast? But also, if you guys like Gravity Falls, please explain what Grunkle stands for. Is it Grandpa Uncle, or is it, or Great Uncle, or is it uh, Grumpy Uncle? I mean, I'm not going to stop thinking about it as Grumpy Uncle, I mean, that, that, because that's in my I head mean, I mean, that's pretty great. Yeah. But Teft, he's here. We have, like, the first of our squad. So as Kaladin is making this point of rebirth, we have the beginnings of his new family. It's time for the fucking bridge for crew! <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we're, we're, st- we're still missing a few, and I can't wait to meet uh, to meet most of them. You know, we, uh, you know, we, we, we can't. We can't. When we're reading, we can't. We can't. Yeah. Wait, wait. We can't. Listen, we we can't give any spoilers. Like we will nerd. No, it's not just that. No, no, not even, not if not we even. Start, like, we will not, nerd the hell out, and we will be here for another hour. Yeah, but also like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to take like learning about like who we love and who you'll love and who you won't love away from the people reading along. Like I know, like I, I'm willing to spoil like Hoyd and Odium and all that stuff because, like, honestly, like in the grand scheme of things, those are relatively minor spoilers. Like they're they're metaphysical concepts that that are around and we have to deal with. They're spoilers that are like so high level in like the cosmology that it honestly doesn't matter for the story that much. But for stuff like this, like I am so scared of spoiling. Be- because I, 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 I want I, I want them to feel the emotions. No, that's very fair. Uh, anyway, that is the last chapter that we're going through, which means it is bit time. So, Vladimir, 
you wouldn't happen to have a night radiant to share with the class, would you? Uh, I uh, I would, and uh, in the this chapter i actually have a split decision because i was not able to decide uh between uh sills just if it wasn't for her being her we would not get like the best out of kaladin and you know what uh screw it i i'm i'm making a firm call and saying that it is sill because she is so much of what makes Kaladin work and so much of and that is not that is not me taking away at all from her character on its own but she like literally like touched me I like felt it when she came through that storm uh, that storm and just said just try all you have you you may not succeed in fact you probably won't but trying's better than nothing god you know i i know i just went on a five minute rant earlier about the character of sill but you just made me think of another thing because you know you mentioned you know you don't want to take away from her character as an individual but she is what makes kaladin work i they're less two separate characters and more a paired set because how how yeah, yeah how how yeah. do you how how do you talk about Kaladin without talking about Sill and how do you talk about Sill without talking about Kaladin? It's like yeah, God, yeah, it, I love it, I love this book series like like this is stuff I like I feel I've always felt deep down but getting to talk about it out loud is what makes me feel it you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah. so I'm glad you chose uh Silrena for your uh Night Radiance because I would have felt guilty if she didn't get uh one. However, my Night Radiance will be <clears throat> Yalb for for pulling <laughs> for pulling in the absolute assist for Shalon. Like Oh no, that that is a dope choice. That is valid as fuck. Sh- Shalon drove through, like, all five of the Lakers, you know, like, you know, made it past, like, ended up in- inside the paint. But, like, boom, all of a sudden, like, MJ showed up, you know, blocking the shot. So, like, you know, she had to sort of, you know, she pulled off a risky shot, she set up the alley-oop, and then Yalb just went in and finished that dunk in. <laughs> oh, it, 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 it's honestly hard to, like... He made so much of what made the Shalon chapters like, like really fun. He 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 pulled off a bit of work uh, there. It, 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 that is deserved. Yeah. Um. By the way, just sort of letting both Vlad and the listeners know, I'm sort of making a concentrated effort to have like minor characters be my Night Radiance and Voidbringers. Just that way we. Because otherwise, it would just straight up be Shalon, 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 Shalon. Shalon, Kaladin, Shalon, Kaladin, Shalon, Kaladin, yeah. Dalinar, Adolin, hey, Adolin. Oh God, I, uh, I, I, Yasna. Uh, let's uh, let's not let's not jump too far ahead. But anyways, now it is time to figure out who the Voidbringers are, and 
I th- I thought I knew who you were gonna pick, but during during like chapter seven, I think it was, like you you shocked me with your visceral hates. Uh, well, well, who, well, who do well who did you think I was gonna pick? I figured either Gaz or the bookstore owner. No. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I I think I'm gonna answer this question for Vlad. Vlad's Voidbringer is Cabsol, I'm guessing. Nope. Oh. Well, fuck me and a half. Who is your... It's Kaladin, isn't it? No. Oh, thank God. I thought I was about to have to murder you. Okay. It's Lyrin. Oh. Okay. I probably should have put that together. I guess I, I, yeah. I was so sure I had figured it out with uh, Cabsol. Uh, and don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, capsules, uh, capsule trip uh, trips my trigger in the way in a certain like way. Like uh, this feels a little skeevy, and you know, I, I I have a certain level of protectiveness in me, especially when uh, I I associate a person or character with like somebody younger. Like uh, uh, like I have a protective older brother streak in me that is uh, kind of a mile wide. And that's just a thing with me. So, uh, Capsule was going to trip this uh, in me, but Lyrin, that trips a much, much bigger trigger in me because Capsule is just like, yeah, this happens. This is like, dude, this is dude. But you know the 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 thing that Lyrin put into Kaladin's brain, that failure as a father has repercussions so deep that Kaladin would not have been on that ledge if it was not for Lyrin. And he was thinking of Lyrin in those moments, and that is not an accident. Now it is time for my Voidbringer. And uh, I chose uh, Artsmirin. The books, this bookstore clerk, <laughs> like also deserved. Like honestly, he didn't really do anything that like particularly bad. Like he just sort of like threw a he threw like a square millimeter of shade at Shalon and like was like ah oh, you know she must be like just here for a silly romance book. There's no way she's a scholar or anything. So but. Like, I almost gave it to Gaz, but I was like, we'll see Gaz again, but we won't, but we won't be seeing Artsmirin again. No, and the, the funny thing is, uh, just like from a meta per, uh, perspective kind of thing, uh, Brandon Sanderson put this guy here specifically to give Shalon a moment of someone to fuck with. Just like, oh, no, this is who you're dealing with, motherfucker. She... Uh, Yasna? Yeah, Yasna's gonna intimidate her. You? Fuck you. Yeah, like, Yasna will intimidate her. Uh, Cabsol will, like, basic kind of be her equal. You, you, Artmirin, you are going to be, like, a verbal punching bag. Like, God, you know, I... I, And his his wife knows it. That's one of the best parts. Like, later on in the chapter, Shalon's, like, noticing that his wife is giving him a look like, oh, you fucking idiot. You are getting owned right now. God, I I think... 
I've been I figured out like a few things I might end up uh, naming the episode. One of was he jigs for the Almighty, but I think I think the I think just Shalon gonna is gonna ruin this man's whole career is a pretty good one. <laughs> that ain't bad. Uh, by the way, uh, as I was like, I did not remember his name, so I went back to the chapter to look it up and. Ten bromes was the cost of the trip to get to get to uh, Kebranth. So like, so yeah, it is a ridiculous amount of stuff. Like, I mean, yeah. books are expensive. Like, listen, listen, li- listen, listeners. Part like ten, I think. I love books. Back before there was a quarantine and you know life outside was scary. Like, I spent so much time in Barnes and Nobles to the point where. I had to limit myself to only going there once a month because I would routinely spend like over a hundred dollars in books there. I I know that that wasn't particularly healthy, but I couldn't stop it because guess what? Books are awesome. That's why I'm doing a Stormlight Archive podcast. I've been there. Literally. At Barnes & Nobles at 2 a.m. Okay, first of all, your Barnes & Nobles was up until 2 a.m. or were you like working there like stocking shelves? Because... No, it was open late. Like, uh, like the uh, like the main big branch on Union Square. Uh, not, uh, it was open like late, late. Like it, they didn't close until like three in the morning uh, most nights. And uh, when I was like in college and shit, I would go there and I would start reading and I would just lose myself and it, and I would look up and it would be like nearly three in the morning and they were kicking us out and I would have to like, oh shit, what books do I? Oh, what books on this? giant pile do i actually want to take well i am going to be quizzing you more at apparently the super barnes and nobles but that has been the end of our episode and also the end of book one of the words of radiance so we finished we're like we're not Uh, we're not finished okay we're not finished with the book but each of the parts is labeled uh, as a book uh, uh, hold up uh uh we're done with book one of words of Radiance. okay listen Listen, listeners, part 15. I messed up, okay? That's on me, all right? I I know I messed up, but I'm also the one that edits this podcast, so no one will know. And and Vlad doesn't have the password to our Twitter, so fuck you, man. You're the one who messed up, according to my tweets. Uh, Fine, I will take that. Uh, anyways, we're not actually done because Voidbringers aren't our last segment. Instead, yes. we have the words of radiance to talk about. Vladimir, yes. what are your words of radiance? Uh, very simple this time. Uh, I'm never going to be rid of you, am I? Uh, that, that is, that's, a, that's a Jasna one, right? It is. And it was just the way that it hit, it, it, it was just, it hit just right at just the right time uh, that it just made me laugh so hard like it, it just hit the precise funny bone at just the right time that it was just like that's perfect i love that because a lot of the uh, other stuff in like the other chapters was like build up to uh, to other things and they're like a, a longer whole uh, bits and i i I don't want to like otherwise what i would have picked was like shallan's whole letter i i have to limit myself down to one quick thing that sort of encapsulates stuff yeah like 
I, I, I also wanted to just say Shallan's verbal assassination of Artmirin. But I, I, that's the other one. It's just it's too long for, and it's too good for me to like pick one thing from it. Yeah. Uh, but so that's a pretty good word of word of radiance. Mine, however, is from Kaladin and it is him being the world just changed gas. I died down at that chasm. Now you've got my vengeful spirit to deal with. That's dope. Because, you know, once again, the many rebirths of Kaladin Stormbreast. <laughs> now, who do, now who called him Stormbreast? Me, on purpose. Oh, that wasn't a slip of the tongue? Oh, no, I, I, oh. Am, I am never calling him by his other name again. Oh. oh, I'm glad that I have added to your mental lexicon. Yeah, so that is the end of, uh, of part one of the first book of The Way of Kings. And... God, was that a good one? Like, I don't, I don't think anyone could call this anything other than a amazing ride. So, and next chapter, we are going to be reading the interludes. And since the interludes are very short and honestly don't have much plot stuff to them, uh, we are. Like, okay, I mean, there is a shit ton of plot stuff in them. We do have a chapter from Zeth's point of view. But we're going to sort of do things a little bit differently. If all things go well, we are going to have my friend Emily on the show, who hasn't read the books before. And she is going, we're going to talk to her about her first impressions of this part. uh, Things that she liked, disliked, and theories she has moving forward. But... Anyways, next time we see you will be in the future, so have a good day. What the fuck was that?